do it. Let's do it. It's been two weeks, and uh, we are back with the Getting Off Topic podcast for our delayed finale of Podcast Impossible. Now that Byron At least until fin- 7 and 8 come out. Until 7 and 8. <laughs> <laughs> now that Byron finished his homework at the very last minute. <laughs> Uh, let me set. I was literally up. like watching the movie about thirty minutes ago. That's okay. Well, that's good. It's fresh. I'm. Yeah. I was wondering like how it would be compared to our other, our other episodes since like we, at least I. I mean, I prepared over a week ago and watched the the two movies. Um, Todd, I watched you... Rogue Nation last week, but then oh. uh, my my week has just been a whirlwind of like I've had every single day I've had at least two or three things happening so it's been very like intense how's the uh the not the not the brewery cidery cidery so i'm now almost at full time so uh i'm working between 32 and 36 hours a week at the cidery while also by the way yep uh while also like working on my vr stuff and uh, recently took on a, a business mentor with SCORE to, like, take the business to the next level. So, like, nice. I'm taking meetings, and I've also, like, been to, like, goth nights and stuff, and yeah. so much stuff is happening. Awesome. I actually, I was just telling Meg, I saw, like, with random Instagram people I follow that, uh, oh, I can't even think of the, the name of the bar. Oh, Bar Sinister, which is in L.A. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I've been there. Yeah, big gothy club. We, I remember. Yeah, yeah. isn't isn't the bat isn't the the bat the bat wing or bat something in there? It's like a sub thing of Bar Sinister. I don't know. Honestly, we we've never been. I forgot it existed, but I've seen people post about it occasionally. But they, I guess, they're just starting events again this past Saturday. I think they did. Okay, yeah. I think I I think I had a couple friends who went. Oh, cool. Uh, it was, what was fascinating to me was that was the first one of these, like, you know, we're back doing events again things. Uh, that was the first thing that I saw of any location, any club or bar or whatever, where they actually said for this particular night, masks and uh, proof of vaccination was required at the door. Yeah, oh, required. Yeah, yeah, that's a big thing now. Yeah. So um, I've seen where they actually said like actually proof of vaccination and a mask. So I went to shout out to church of hive, which is um, Portland's premier deluxe goth night. Um, Deluxe. Uh, uh, Not the standard goth night. (laughs) So I went to church of hive last week and um, it was super sold out. It was like, there was like a line to get in. And I somehow got in without pre-buying tickets. I don't know how it happened, but it happened. Um, but then when I got there, um, they were doing, if you had your vaccination card, you got a wristband and then you didn't have to wear a mask. And oh. they had somebody at the, at the front checking vaccination cards. But uh i had mine i didn't have mine on man on me i have a picture of it but he was like do you want to do you want a wristband and i was like 
no, I think I'm probably just going to keep my mask on. <laughs> Basically, who gives a shit about IDs anymore? All they care about are vaccination cards. That's the cool, hit new thing to have. Well, you definitely need an ID to get into a club here. But oh, I know. Your papers. Like, I don't know if you've ever tr be tried to get into a bar in Portland without an ID, but it's a close to impossible. <laughs> Because the Oregon Liquor, Liquor Control Commission is like very, very, very intense about um, minors drinking in Oregon. Right. So there are big, big fines if you hmm. get caught serving minors. In other, uh, in other LA area openings, the LA Institution Jumbo's Clown Room has reopened. Fucking Jumbo's is back open? <laughs> Y'all ever been to Jumbo's? Uh, that's what we've been on pins and needles waiting for that one <laughs> i have actually been to to, to the clown room i've that heard of it plenty i have place never, is intense never been yeah i've heard songs and stories <laughs> um um to, i was i was saying uh before we hit record um meg and i went to a friend's wedding yesterday so congrats deanna and on um but yeah, I was uh, I was telling the guys just now that um, this is the first time. This is the first event that I've had to look presentable for. Um, first time I've worn a suit in God knows fucking how long. <laughs> um, but since I've grown out my quarantine do, so uh, I had no idea what to do with it. I was telling Meg, I don't how do how do I care, um, you know, for the public? And she's like, I don't know, like maybe sort of put it back. And she gave me a hair tie. And long story short. I, uh, I found a long discarded bottle of LA looks, <laughs> the globby hair gel that I used to use in my high school days somehow was still in the back of, uh, the bottom of cabinet of, uh, my bathroom. It, it survived the bombs falling. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's like being in fallout and finding like some, uh, some rat away or, uh, <laughs> or like some snacks or whatever. <laughs> rat X. It's a, yeah. it's a pre, it's a pre-war, uh, chest yet. There's a pipe gun in there with some hair gel. Yeah. I had to do a mock <laughs> pick. I had to, I had to unpick it. Yeah. I went through a few of those. Um, did, yeah, you take, yeah, uh, so, did you take mentats before you tried the lock pick? Yes. <laughs> um, but it was hilarious. So anyway, it's a beautiful day, beautiful weather. The the ceremony is out in like Palos Verdes, right by the water. So Meg was the bridesmaid, so she had bridesmaid duties and photos to attend to and stuff. So I was just sitting there on my own for a while after the ceremonies, taking my dumb selfies by the water and everything. And I look at them like, oh my god, I look like with the slick back ponytail and everything, and plus my suit and the my sunglasses going on in the middle of the day. I was just straight up like eighties villain like about to about to make a coke deal on somebody's yacht somewhere by the water uh, i was kind of proud it was very nice <laughs> there was also a helicopter that was flying around and it got ridiculously close to oh, yeah. the wedding it was super like trippy yeah it fit perfectly there was legit when they were out there doing like outside photos after the ceremony like randomly an lapd chopper like was flying over the water and then just decided to do a flyby like super close by us like showing off or something i don't know weird yeah well i assumed maybe there were there were surfers below in the water so maybe something happened to one of the surfers but after he did about two laps he flew off so clearly it wasn't an emergency situation yeah, uh, it was yeah it was, 
super fun times. Um, it was a full blown, the reception, it was a full blown Vietnamese style wedding. So mm. there was, uh, an insane amount of seafood, uh, that we ate and it was delicious. And, um, yeah, it was good times. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Uh, Todd had a birthday this past Happy uh, birthday! Happy birthday! birthday. Happy birthday! Happy birthday! Yeah, which uh, we still owe you at dinner, but uh, on a on a non podcast night. (laughs) (laughs) What you been up to, man? What what are you watching? What are you playing? What are you doing? Uh, nothing much lately. Uh, I've I actually this series that we've been doing has made me realize that I haven't watched films in for fucking ever. So TV shows forever like us. Yeah. I've just been binge watching random TV shows here and there. And then the majority of my content comes from YouTube and Twitch. That's what I spend most of my days on. Mm. So, uh, uh, I actually went through HBO max and just, just added, I went, a to Z through the entire fucking list and added like 50 films, either stuff that I wanted to rewatch that I haven't seen in forever or stuff that I'd never seen. And I ended up watching a ton of movies over the last like two or three weeks. Nice. Um, HBO max has a, a, a really fantastic selection of films. They it, probably ha- it probably has the best selection of films of any streaming service, especially since it has um, AMC, the actual classic AMC stuff mm-hmm. on there. Oh, like nice. It's got some legit like black and white films on there that are that are really good. Like oh, Captain nice. Blood is on there. Oh, we'll um, definitely have to check those out. They have a bunch of Errol Flynn movies on there. They have yeah, they've got the entire uh, Warner Brothers collection as well too. Yeah. So oh, fuck yeah, a lot of Kurosawa films are on there right now. Uh, they don't have literally everything because there's some stuff that like is tied up in uh, other streaming licenses and that type of thing. But I would imagine over time the idea is that they're they're going to make HBO Max the like exclusive place. Of the entire Warner Brothers film collection. Yeah, that's awesome. Some uh, some films that were uh, close to your heart, apparently. Uh, City Slickers. I watched those again for the first oh time God, in like yeah, fucking ten years or so. I saw <laughs> City Slickers too in the theater. <laughs> I saw it in the theater with my dad. I did not see the first one in theaters because I was. Right. I think I, even for even for the nineties, I was a little too young for, yeah. for that one. Yeah, I think but, I was the right age for the second. I remember the second one more seeing that. Also, more. how weird is it that there was a second City Slickers movie? <laughs> what hey, is it like Search for well. Yuri's Gold or something like that? Uh, search for Curly's, Curly's Gold. gold. Curly's yeah. Gold. Because Not Jack Palance, Jack Palance is Curly in the first one, the old cowboy shows him. And then he's right. his brother in the second he one. He dies, and then it's his yeah. twin brother who comes along oh, who had God. hidden treasure. I fucking love it. I don't. I, don't <laughs> so, I unabashedly love those movies. Oh my god! And the, so the and it's and it's Daniel um uh Daniel Stern. Daniel Stern. Yeah. Daniel Stern. Um, so um, weird. Uh, fucking. Um, oh my god! Why am I blanking on his goddamn name? The main guy. You mean Billy Crystal? Yeah, Billy, Billy Crystal. Crystal. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, Billy Crystal, Daniel Stern, and then the second one, uh, John Lovitz as. Uh, oh, that's uh, right. Yeah. Like fuck up brother. <laughs> John Lovitz. Whatever. You know, I I feel like John Lovitz was already like pretty old when he got famous. You mm-hmm. know, uh, like 
because he was a because he he took over on um spin city not spin city um news radio after uh uh phil hartman phil hartman died right um, but i feel like yeah. he was a uh, so i don't know if this is just me thinking that all people older than me when i was a child are old or if he actually was old when he was on news radio. No, he 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 was already in his like, like in his probably 40s, right? 30s or 40s. Okay, 40s that's like, right. Cuz he, he oh, he's okay. an active he was an active actor in 84. Yeah. And he wasn't a child, sense. so That makes sense. Yeah. First thing I remember him in was A League of Their Own. Yep. Oh, yep. yeah, he was one of the um like it was the, like their uh, one of their managers or something. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I remember him first from the critic. That's what I, I remember first. Yes. It stinks. It stinks. <laughs> and then um, they they had that character uh, cameo on The Simpsons. Yeah, uh, the crossover episode. Sherman. Yeah. Good times. Anyway. It's anyway, basically just an extension of his personality, really. Yeah. You know yeah. what? Actually, I think the very first thing I ever saw him in was um, mm. Mom and Dad Saved the World, 1990. Oh, <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Mom that's the very saved. first thing I ever saw him in. Though he's also in Big. Yep. He is? Uh, yeah. Um, it's probably like a small role, though. Another like random um, executive in the office or something. I, I yeah, mean, I'm I just looking. I'm just looking through his stuff right now. Yeah, yeah right. I think. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Remember this deep dive of the the career of John. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it all started with City Slickers. All right. Uh, um, so other oh, than City left, Slickers, left. other oh. than City Slickers, I watched like a bunch of random stuff. Like uh, I had my double Gerard Butler disaster movie night, which was fun. <laughs> so I didn't. I, I knew White about. No, I I watched uh, Green uh, Greenland, which was actually a good movie. It's a legitimately good disaster movie. Mm. And then I watched Geostorm, which is probably one of the worst films I've ever fucking watched. I've never even heard of it, so. <laughs> but still, give it one watch. Give it one watch because it's a, a Gerard Butler disaster happen. movie. <laughs> Oh boy, <laughs> Todd, you're not selling us. I'm wanting to watch it that one time. <laughs> I promised Todd, though, after our um, our Mission Impossible um, marathon was complete, uh, we would uh, the next thing on, on the list would be his uh, a disaster movie, but probably his favorite because, and again, it's another 25th anniversary this year. Uh, Twister. And so. shout out to HBO Max. They have a, I think they have a rescan or some remaster version of uh, Twister on on the HBO Max service because the the version that's been going around from streaming service to streaming service is a god awful like low res quality. So um, I think they finally upped the upped it to like a 4K <clears throat> remaster or something because it actually looks good on HBO Max. Nice. I just rewatched it. To, like, I want. Week. I want those CGI flying cows in 4K. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, uh, Meg and I have been, um, yeah, same, same you, uh, same with you. Like we get sucked in forever into a series. We, um, you know, we did our whole supernatural thing. Um, lately, we've been 
I introduced Meg to all of Avatar, The Last Airbender and The Legend of Korra. So we finished finished Avatar. We're in uh, season two of Korra now. Enjoying the hell out of that. That's like our go-to right before bed. Um, and then other than that, we've just been watching a couple of uh, horror movies thanks to The Last Drive-In. Um, we're still several ep- episodes behind, but we just... Oh, watched- yeah, I'm like... The last one that I watched was... Um, uh, the reanimator two. Oh wow yeah we're just a couple ahead of that we watched mandy with nick oh, cage speaking of how funny is it that a few episodes ago or like a month ago we were talking about ginger snaps and then joe bob does ginger, ginger snaps, snaps yeah on the season. show yeah <laughs> oh was it, was it that last the last one yeah. no well oh. it was i think the one after Re- two weeks ago yeah i think oh, it was okay. right after reanimator yeah okay man i gotta pick i gotta pick up yeah uh, well and then he did oh. maniac Ma- he did maniac cop and maniac cop 2 yeah i think those are the next ones we're gonna watch now um speaking of since uh i'm gonna jump into some news here i got a headline from this past week evil dead the the new evil dead movie evil oh, dead yeah. Rise, is going to be heading straight to hbo max they confirmed oh interesting yeah and is it a direct sequel to the first two uh, I think it's a whole brand new thing. They're kind of, they've been loosely saying it still fits in the overall Evil Dead verse, but, you know, it's focusing on no, new characters. No Ash? No, no Ash. Ash he said he's confirmed retired. He's yeah. not going to re- re- reprise the character. After the show, he has officially hung up the chainsaw, at least for uh, for live action stuff. He, he did, um, uh, they're releasing that video game. I don't even know if it came out yet or not. No, it's not out. Okay. They they just released like the first trailer for it like a couple months ago, so it's not it's not coming out anytime soon. Okay, I know. Yeah, if I remember right, it's focusing on some girl who's um, like stuck in a like in a skyscraper. Like it's it's gonna be it's gonna be Nakatomi Towers full of deadites. deadites. Yeah, Yeah, deadites. Yeah, Die Hard with deadites. (laughs) So okay, so that's something that is an interesting question. What defines deadites? versus like zombies in the larger evil dead canon i think well zombies are traditionally just like the undead rising into mindless shambling creatures or running creatures if you're of the zack snyder deadites are somewhat I, like cogent the deadites they, are they can talk talkative just murderous yeah because they're they're actual demons they're demons they're literal demons reanimated by a demon possessing it okay so yeah. Fueled by the book. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I've always sort of um just thought they were just like talking zombies, but sure. <laughs> no. Um, did <laughs> this is a funny one? Not exactly news, but I guess there was an interview with J.J. Abrams this past week or two. Did you see the headline <laughs> saying J.J. Uh, yep. admits that the Star Wars sequel trilogy probably should have had a plan? <laughs> <laughs> no shit yeah no shit <laughs> i mean it's 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 pretty remarkable to think that they like they just didn't communicate between they didn't think that the screenwriters of the three films should probably uh, take some notes <laughs> well it's not it's not just that it's just why do you not have an overall story going into it like yeah. you should I mean, have I know I know the reason that they're gonna say is because George Lucas didn't on the first three. Yeah. True. Hmm. 
I, I guarantee least, you that's what the, that's that that was their reasoning is that but at least George, was, George did it this way they were the first time we're gonna follow his model yeah, but at least work. it was George lightning in a bottle twice like <laughs> well yeah and the biggest difference is that is that he had like he had the universe in his mind he yeah. just well not only that but he is the primary screenwriter for all three so he he well, had mm, well there the, no. the screen he was the primary like idea man behind all three, like yes. the story and idea, story maybe not by, the screenplay. But he did not write the screenplay to the second no. or the third movie. Yeah, no, of course not. So that's I I I didn't mean that. I mean he had the primary story in mind for all three, and he was behind all three. Whereas you have three distinct visions for these the the final three. Yeah. Mm. Oh well. Anyway, what's done is done. Yeah, it's done is done. What we've got is what we got. <laughs> uh, speaking of uh, of longstanding universes desperately trying to formulate a plan, um, over in the land of DC, did you catch the uh, the director of the Flash movie revealed uh, a little tease for Michael Keaton's returning Batman? I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It looks really yeah. good. Just a close up of the suit. I think it's really interesting that a little blood splatter on it. Yeah, no, it looks great. I mean, it reminds me of, do you remember the, the first teaser for Batman returns? Uh, I don't recall off top of head. Go, what, what, what is it? What did it look like? Um, it, it was, uh, it, it was like going through a bunch of like, like what looked like iron or like, uh, steel hallways. And there was like water rushing through it. And then it pulls out, and it's actually the Batman logo with a bunch of water splashed on it. Um, oh, nice. It played in like the, it. I think it played in front of like, I, I want to say it was Terminator Two at the time. I don't know. I, I'm probably misremembering things because I was you know like four or five years old. Um, so, uh, but I just remember the Batman Returns teaser was just like amazing, and it, everybody was like, ah. Lost their mind, but it didn't show any footage from the movie. It was literally just like this thing that they did. It, it was like their, uh, like their, uh, like their JJ reveal of the Enterprise being built. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. And that's yeah. what, like, like uh, the teaser for Back to the Future was the same. Um, it was just a bunch of clocks ticking, mm. and then him like checking his watches and stuff. You know, uh, there were, and I, I really like liked. Up. Or something. Yeah, I really like those types of teasers. No. Yeah, that was back in the 80s and 90s where you could get away with not showing a damn bit about your your movie and people will still go to fucking see it. Because then at that point like and I'm someone who I don't really care about watching trailers too much. Um Well, trailers give away like pretty much all of the film anymore. Yeah. I mean, but there's also I've been heard. a pullback. There's also been a pullback against that though because uh like Infinity War didn't even show like the last third of the movie at all. Yeah, because um, it would have given away, away fucking everything. Well, and also Marvel has also gone to lengths to to uh, stop that from happening by literally lying to the audience by CGIing characters out or not putting them into the trailer. Because remember, in the in the Infinity War teaser, um, Hulk is yeah. running towards running the camera. 
uh-huh. in in Wakanda, Wakanda and yeah. Hulk is not in Wakanda at all in the movie. Yeah. So like they have straight up and like the, uh, Captain Marvel was originally uh, taken out of the Endgame trailer despite the fact that she's in that scene. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I actually. I know a lot of fanboys get mad that they're like, they lied to us. And it's like, because you motherfuckers can't keep the secret. Yeah. Because you can't keep anything to yourselves and you will constantly leak bullshit. So like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. With big movies like that anymore, even when all the Star Wars films were coming out, I refused to watch any trailer for it. Like if we'd be at the theater and a trailer would come on, I would just close my eyes and Tony would tell me when it was over. Yeah. I'll watch the like the first trailer and maybe the the first two trailers that come out for a big release. But yeah, once it gets within, that, yeah, and once TV it gets into the three like to that. six months, I'm done. And TV yeah. spots are especially dangerous because, like, in the last few years, TV spots have give effectively given away the major twists to, to certain movies. Uh huh. Um, like well, the fucking one... uh, the I mean, it was a shit movie anyway. But the second to the last Terminator one where John Connor, oh, yeah. that guy. They literally reveal in a fucking TV spot. In a TV John spot. Connor, John Connor is the fucking villain of the movie. Yeah, I saw that. I was like, the fuck? Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> and then I, like, refused to watch it for several months after because I just didn't give a shit anymore. And then I watched it and oh, I didn't give a shit anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway. Uh, what else do I got? Uh, I had a bunch of news after the last... Uh, Last two weeks here. Oh, Todd, disaster movie news. Uh, Roland Emmerich, you know that name. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently, he's got a new movie coming with Halle Berry. Haven't heard from her in a long time. Moonfall. Something with her in space. Uh, coming winter next year, apparently. Disaster. New, yeah, new disaster drama from Roland Emmerich. Yep, the moon is on a collision course with Earth. So that's that's fresh new territory for disaster movies. That's pretty cool. That's something we haven't seen before. All right. Yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm getting thinking a, back I'm, to like the last. Is it Armageddon? Well, the last Roland Emmerich didn't he do uh, the the 2012? 2012, which well, I think he was also and the Independence Day sequel. I mean, he did yeah, he did uh, Resurgence. Did he do Resurgence? Yeah. Yeah, he did Resurgence. Okay, I yeah. never saw Resurgence, so... He also did uh, White House Down, which was... Yeah. Eh. I saw bits of that. I think I saw bits of it in the break room at work. It seemed interesting. It seemed okay. It was, eh. it was... It's very much a clone of uh, the Olympus Has Fallen type thing. Aren't they so all I, like... I have to be writer? honest. Uh, after the 90s glut of disaster movies, my interest for disaster movies has effectively become gone to zero like uh unless it's unless it's good like unless it's like if if one comes out and the reviews are like stellar then i'll watch it but it's Uh, disaster movies the reviews will never be is good no okay i would the same i'm there with you byron except for one exception todd and i went and saw um san San Andreas. andreas that was a lot of fun i had a lot i had a good time with that one yeah yeah i mean i I guess like maybe i would see like i'd see rampage despite the fact that i didn't you know um that was was okay too but uh, it was okay 
I guess like there's got to be something more to disaster movies for me at this point, just because like, uh, I never was particularly fond of the tropes to begin with. Um, and the tropes have gotten even lazier over time. So, oh, absolutely. So yeah. like, uh, at, at this point we're like reaching rom-com levels of, of like suspension of disbelief. It's it's a it's a formula that you have to stick to, and every movie does. And and at least with same. like action movies, right? Action movies usually have a lot of like character and flavor and cool action scenes. And disaster movies, especially modern ones, rely on way too much CGI. So if there was like a disaster movie that came out that was like all practical or like ninety percent practical, I would watch the shit out of that. That'd be an interesting twist, <laughs> but that's not going to happen anytime soon. Uh, or at least if it does, like it's, if, if that happens, I will, I will watch a fucking disaster movie. in the. Theater. They did do a lot of practical <laughs> effects in San Andreas. Yeah. There was something about that one. I like, yeah, like 99% of it was, or I, it seemed like was CG, but they just did. It seemed like everything had, they gave everything an extra level of care than the lazy CGI fest we've seen lately. Like there was enough yeah. of a story there. There was enough heart put into the characters where I actually gave a shit about them. Exactly. Yeah. Like that, that was a good example of character <laughs> driven. You, you care about the characters, even the, the throw throwaway British, British pair of kids. Like you like yeah. them. You like uh, Alexandra Daddario also helps. <laughs> yeah her underwater in any film <laughs> alexander dario's swimming <laughs> help for that help for baywatch <laughs> I, I, yep. I will say like when it comes to hollywood movies these days um as opposed to bollywood movies well just uh, as opposed to like indie movies or or like uh stuff that is made outside of the like um the traditional popcorn stuff mm -hmm. uh um, unless there is some sort of, and this is why I think superhero movies have worked, and this is and this is a difference, is that because the super genre, superhero genre, um, got so big and ended up making so much money, they have to be good, or else they fail. Yeah. So they have to be good movies, and they largely have become like almost all the marvel movies are good with some very specific exceptions um and disaster movies do not have to be good <laughs> no they're still spending it's, a pretty penny on those yeah, yeah but it's they know they, make, they they know they're gonna make their money back <laughs> in theater and secondary sales disaster movies are big in the secondary market the the dvd the vod yeah. the and the, also internationally and internationally because who all they have to do is change see... the change the you know subtitles yeah and who doesn't love seeing new york and la get destroyed for the 54 millionth time <laughs> but if a and superhero like... movie is bad it tanks hard <laughs> because because at this point we have so many of them that if it's bad it, the word gets out look what happened to fantastic four Band that movie stick. tanked hard hard yeah. because it was terrible and so audiences, when they get smell the smell of bad blood in the water, then they drop they drop like a rock. Yeah. Oh, like a rock. Um, well, speaking of uh, 
well, going back to, you know, disaster movies, Roland Emmerich, whatever, older directors that uh, we've long since forgot about, but uh, are trying to come back. M. Night Shyamalan. Uh, I guess just put out a trailer for his new one, Old. Just <laughs> called Old. And uh, Meg saw the trailer. I, I caught a glimpse of it, but uh, I'm really curious about this film. As much as I, I have zero hope for M Night Shyamalan, it it looks interesting though. Yeah. Uh, so a family on some mysterious, uh, like sandy beach. Apparently, if you go to this beach, like you just instantly like rapidly age, and so like their kids like grow up in front of them. Like yeah, within like five minutes or something. I don't uh, know. So mysterious spooky beach um i don't spooky know beach. spooky beach they should just call it they could have they should have just called it spooky beach spooky beach <laughs> zoinks <laughs> um, isn't that what the second uh, the second um it was like spooky a mystery island or something yeah that was pretty much what the the second scooby-doo movie was yeah um hey over in the uh popcorny world of the mcu um Two announcements for um, for TV shows. Number one, Denai Guerrera is going to reprise her role in the Black Panther TV show. So that's rad. Um, is that World of Wakanda? Uh, I think, is that what the official title is? Well, that's the one that they came up with before. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever the Wakanda TV series is. Um, yeah, it looks like she's going to be headlining it. Um, also, <laughs> this is this is a surprise. Christopher McDonald, Shooter McGavin himself, is in, is in secret, uh, secret yeah. invasion. That's him awesome. Him. You know what? Like, I really like him. He also he's Lieutenant Castillo in one the, the probably the best episode of Star Trek: The Next Generation, or yeah. one of the best. Uh, he it, yesterday's Enterprise. He plays one of the uh uss um enterprise c play the first officer yeah he plays the first officer that like comes back from the 2270s or 2260s into the future um and he's wearing the like red uniform with this like the you know the the old naval the tos era uniforms Mm -hmm. great in it and that was like right before he got big, but I just, I just, I've loved him and everything he's in. He's great. Yeah, he's, he's, he's a good one. Uh, they have not announced who he is playing, but it is in fact a brand new character, newly created character. Uh, the report said it was specifically harped on that it's a newly created character with the potential to cross over into the larger MCU. So he's here. I feel like he's perfect for the MCU, and I, I'm just, I'm just glad. Well, he's, I'm glad he's still working. Yeah. It's always good times. Um, do you have more MCU news? Uh, not that I... No, I don't think so. Well, Loki you... starts on Wednesday. Oh, shit. Yep. Oh, we're going to have things to talk about. Yeah. There have been a glut of uh, breadcrumbs for Loki. Yeah. They, they, and the first, released... the first reviews are hitting, hitting t- today, too. Mm-hmm. That feels like another one that I... I really want to keep the mystery going. Like for some reason, Falcon and the Winter Soldier felt like a little more low state. It felt more like a 
traditional action like i don't think i was going to be spoiled with any like crazy plot twists or something as opposed to like wandavision i was like i don't i gotta stay off the internet i don't want to know anything for you know next episode until i watch it i feel like loki i'm kind of the same i i, I want to just stay in the dark as much as possible until i watch it yeah well it it has a lot to do with the like especially since it has a lot to do with time travel yeah and like the time variance authority and stuff like that plenty Um, of room for cameos and yeah which is pretty much like it's like uh you know star trek's department of temporal investigations but for marvel yeah all right um i have uh, did you hear about christina ricci in matrix 4 yes oh so that's pretty cool so like because she was uh, she was in speed racer for the wachowski sisters um take on that never saw they it. didn't they didn't actually direct it but they wrote it and produced it um uh they had their uh their workhorse director guy do it also quick note that movie is supposed to come out this year and we haven't seen even a teaser of a teaser i know it's that's crazy weird. i think they're trying to probably keep it as close as secret as they possibly can yeah. well, that's kind of what happened with even mortal Kombat. like warner brothers didn't pop out a trailer until I yeah, because like Matrix Four maybe? is supposed to come out in like I think it's either November or December. It was supposed to come out in May and it got delayed. So yeah, yeah, there was yeah, like she just she was just cast today or this week in it. So like they're they're either doing massive reshoots or the movie is way behind schedule. Oh, uh, more casting news. More. Oh, it comes out December twenty second. By the way. Okay. More Keanu Reeves related casting news. Yes. John, John Wick for just scored Ooh. Donnie Yen. Oh, yes, please. That's pretty cool. Um, I yep, so want that. that. That's going to be badass. I'm excited for that. So I think he's probably going to be playing the a similar character to... Um, we just said her name like 30 minutes, 20 minutes ago. Michelle Yeoh? No, the, uh, <laughs> the new disaster movie from Roland Emmerich. Oh, um, so, yeah. Moonfall, Halle Berry. Halle Berry. So he's oh right. He's probably playing a Halle Berry type character. Right. I forgot she was in the third one. Yeah, she was good in that. She was the best part of that movie. Right. I totally forgot about that. Her and her dogs. Right. Yeah. That whole sequence in the desert was nuts. That was that was really good. Um, But yeah, Johnny Donnie Yen is going to be amazing in this. That means we're going to get more amazing choreography. Yeah. Uh, just had something pulled up. What was it? Oh, going back to uh, Land of Horror, the Toxic Avenger reboot coming up with Peter <laughs> Dinklage. Oh man, oh, they just that... scored the main villain, Elijah Wood. <laughs> <laughs> man, the second... Why? Why do you? Why do you get babyface Elijah Wood to play a character? You're not gonna see his fucking face. <laughs> this is gonna be magical. Yeah, uh, I. Can't you know, I, I'm really, I'm, I'm enjoying the like second half of his career because he's just, he takes such weird. Yeah. Uh, he he takes such weird roles. He doesn't he's give a, a fuck. Hornet. He uh, he yeah. co-produced Mandy actually. I, I didn't realize yeah. I was watching the opening. Credits. Well, and he also has his he has his own like um cross media like tech production company. He what made this. What was that show on FX that he that he was in that he was literally talking 
to a dude that's in a dog suit, but everybody else sees just a regular dog. Oh, uh, that was um, uh, it was a remake of an Australian <laughs> show. Yeah, and the the guy in the do- dog suit was an Australian actor. Well, he was a, in the original version. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. So he played Elijah Wood's character, probably. No, he played the dog. Oh, he played the dog in that game. Yeah. <laughs> he played the dog in both of them. <laughs> I know nice. what you're talking about, but I can't remember the name of it. Yeah. But I remember seeing the commercial. It got canceled like five or six years ago. It yeah. was hilarious, but super fucking weird also. It lasted at least two seasons, I think. Two or three. It was two or three, yeah. Yeah. Did you see the trailer for that movie, in- Infinite? No. Uh, so it's... Um, it's uh, Marky Mark is like this action hero guy who keeps getting reborn but there's like a whole society that like deals with him being reborn and supposedly he learned that it was going straight to streaming that when they made the announcement and he was not happy about that. <laughs> um, the trailer looked better than I expected, actually. Uh, uh, Marky Mark does very little for me in terms of like interest, but the con the trailer seemed like a good action movie concept. They're clearly trying to set up a <laughs> franchise. Okay, um, I think with the right script, with the right script, right production, he's fun. Um, but. Yeah, yeah, so the whole concept is that like he's lived like a thousand life, a, a thousand lifetimes, and this is just a new body that he's born into. Hmm. Yeah, we don't need a reincarnated Marky Mark. That's just <laughs> that's nothing this world needs. What? No. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, so I don't we... say hello to your grandmother for me. <laughs> I don't know if it was you guys that I was talking about uh, Master and Commander with, or my other buddy. Oh man, I love Master really and Commander. That. I think it probably. I think we talked about this on the other. Uh, <laughs> talked about Master and Commander on a previous. Sure, we have at some point. Yeah. But twentieth uh, century best Star is, Trek movie. That's not a Star Trek movie. Twentieth <laughs> century is developing a new Master and Commander movie. Really? Oh, yeah. I we hope it's know. as good as the first one because the first one is amazing. Yeah, the first one is amazing. Um, they are probably rebooting it again, so it won't be with probably Bill not getting Bettany. Peter Weir this time, though. I'm guessing. <laughs> Bettany was perfect. Crow was good. Uh, I, I I don't know if I could see that character with a recast, but oh well. I literally saw it once when it came to DVD. That was it. I remember it was solid, but I couldn't tell you anything about it. <laughs> you know, I that's love... also one of the last movies that I remember that was shot on film. Yes. Oh, really? Yeah, and it's got a very filmic look to it. It's like full of grain. <clears throat> um, it's also one of those like... Uh, excellent show-stopping blu-ray movies to like test your home theater out because it just looks the transfers are great and it looks incredible mm-hmm. that's the one you'd go to the uh incredible universe uh oh yeah uh, home theater and, room and like, and, like it, and like pull your dad in there and, and stand in there for 15 minutes yeah. while he goes like you know it actually bonding. does look pretty good yeah <laughs> <laughs> father and son bonding over men at sea and shit. when he like and then he like does he like pull, pulls his glasses down and looks at the at the at the price tag and he goes hmm 
All right, we're <laughs> out of here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then two hours later, backing up to the car, honey, what is that? Well, don't get mad, but. <laughs> <laughs> no, see, I have very, fond, I have countless fond memories of uh, riding around in my dad's truck going from store to store around town, like hitting up Walmart, Target, Best Buy, Circuit City, Incredible Universe. And he'd have his notepad, you know, marking down the prices, including tax and everything at every store, making sure he goes to get the right model and the right price and all that. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, well, we're about 40 minutes in. I think we ought to get to some movies here. So unless there's any other news, and that's all I had in the tank. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much everything that I had. Yep. I Nothing from me. You'll, you'll hear more from me next week after E3. Oh yeah, so, there is a Corolla. Uh, they greenlit a Corolla sequel. Oh yeah, as that... well as a Quiet Place two spinoff and threequel. Well, we uh, knew Quiet Place was going to continue. The first one did amazing. Yeah, and the second one is pretty much the, might be the highest grossing film of the year thus far. Yeah, I want to see that. I I think that might be the first one we go see. I'm going to see it. Uh, yeah. I'm going to see it on Wednesday and the first time I'll be in a theater in like almost a year. Nice. Yeah, that's one worth watching in a theater. Definitely. I'd probably rewatch the first one. It's been so long. I know, right? I was just thinking the same thing. Yeah. Okay. Well, guys, uh, we have Podcast Impossible, our final two films, numbers five and six. So the Getting Off Topic podcast watched 2015's Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. Uh, this is where Christopher McQuarrie officially took over um, directing. Because the uh, fourth one was Brad Bird, although uh, Christopher <laughs> McQuarrie worked on the story, I believe. Um, yeah, yeah. He, he came in as a, as a script doctor, but pretty much rewrote the entire film. Yeah. So from here on out, uh, Christopher McQuarrie, Christ, Christopher McQuarrie takes over the franchise. Um, did five and six, and working on seven and eight right now. So uh, they're Rogue shooting Nation. seven and eight back to back, right? They're shooting them. I think so. Yeah, style. yeah. During during uh, that was the original plan. Then COVID hit, and they were like, "Well, we're not sure now." So but eight I think... actually just got shut down because they had a another COVID. Uh, Actually, it's seven. They're still working on seven. They're still working on seven. Yeah, yeah. I saw oh wow! That. I just assumed it was eight. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. They got shut down again from uh, positive wow. COVID tests, possibly multiple COVID. Do you tests. think he uh, freaked out again? That's oh, what I told Todd. I saw that. Yeah, I wonder if we're gonna get another rant <laughs> on audio. Yeah, like I fucking told you. <laughs> yeah. See the Christian the Christian Bale rant was was objectively he's an asshole. The Tom Cruise rant was he's absolutely right about it. Justified, yeah. <laughs> he's justified. <laughs> Not Timothy Oliphant, but justified. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Rogue Nation, directed by Christopher McQuarrie. Christopher McQuarrie, why can't I speak? Writing credits by, uh, well, story by Christopher McQuarrie and Drew Pierce. Screenplay by Christopher McQuarrie. Um, yeah, so... Uh, Let's jump right into it. So the very beginning, we start off um, basically mid-mission, um, uh, somewhere out in Russia. Oh, it's Minsk. So uh, Minsk. Benji, 
Benji and Brant. Hey, Brant's back. Uh, Benji, Brant, and uh, an assist from Luther. They're trying to disarm some package on a plane about to take off. Um, we're just we're we're jumping right in like at the like midpoint or, or end point of a mission. This is kind of like um, this kind of reminds me of the whole intro is like very episodic. It kind of kind of feels like the later Star Trek films or something. And well, in, in any of the crews, really, it's like once you go through enough missions together, it's like, OK, we're just like flicking the channel and tuning in like uh, they're at the yeah. they're, they're in the middle of doing what they do best whenever. So I, I kind of loved it. I kind of enjoyed it. It was just quick. Well, it's funny that you say that because that's exactly how Star Trek Into Darkness opens. Yeah. Yeah. There. Uh, that was uh, the one yeah, where they're, they're, they're like there's. Um, the lava plant they're like trying to stop the lava from killing the the people on the planet and so they right. steal the scroll yeah so it, it opens in media not in media res but it, it opens in the middle of like a an adventure yeah in the middle of shit going wrong and they're running to, to escape or whatever and that um, was 2013 and this was 2015 15 yeah and both bad robot so yeah. bad robot um so yeah, uh, so uh, Luther is trying to get connected to a satellite to let Benji disarm the package or control the plane or whatever. Um, Brant, uh, Jeremy Renner, back again, mentions that they're, uh, they're currently under investigation for misconduct. So he's like, guys, let's keep everything legit. Um, but it doesn't matter. They're too late. Everything's going to shit. So then in comes our man, Ethan, <laughs> to jump on the plane as it's taking off, of course um benji's scrambling to get the door open it's pretty funny he finally does but only after tom cruise is clinging to the side of a plane in flight <laughs> for a solid minute or so um so behind the scenes on this yes in fact of course tom cruise literally hung onto the side of a real plane as it took off from the runway <coughs> flew in a circle and then landed and they actually repeated that stunt seven more times <laughs> Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. Um, the stunt at this cordon. point, it's it's like pathological at this point. Like, like he there just is wants something. To die on camera. He wants to die on camera. He's he's and he's going to. He's gonna be like ripped in half somehow. <laughs> like, and we're and we're like they're gonna they're gonna find a re reason to like use Tom Cruise's fucking entrails in the in the like the final version. I'm coming for you, Zainu. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm back. I'm back. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> yeah, the uh the stunt coordinator on this one, uh Wade Eastwood. Up yours. <laughs> Up yours. <laughs> uh, uh the stunt coordinator said I lost count of how many times we told him not to do it and saying that it couldn't be done. <laughs> but uh surprisingly actually Paramount had Cruz's support for this one. They fully supported him. Um uh, they're uh, like, oh, I guess a plane hanging on to the side of a plane doesn't sound that bad. Yeah, he did actually <laughs> say later in an interview, though, that he did get a minor injury. He, uh, um, Tom Cruise said, I remember I got hit by a stone, some random little pebble that was so tiny, you can't believe. I thought it broke my rib, but luckily it went to my vest and not my hands or my face. Otherwise, it would have gone right through. <laughs> So while he was in Jesus flight, something Christ. just tagged him. Yeah. I just don't understand why. I, I, yeah. I mean, anyway. I get I get a little bit of why because he's 
he's partially a producer on these films. So he, he's like, if I'm going to put my name on it, it's got to be me, you know, mm -hmm. something like that. There's, you know, <clears throat> I think it's, it's kind of like, um, it's probably like, like the people who do like those uh, skydiving, like squirrel suits or whatever, you know, like right over he's, cliffs and shit. Yeah, but it's, they're not the biggest movie star in the world. <laughs> Well, it's a him, way. Just... It's a way to do thrill-seeking stunts and have the insurance companies cover it. Whereas I if he just that, goes yeah, out and does the stuff on his own, he's got nobody to cover it. Yeah, that's true. At least he has like a support team there and everything. Yeah. If anything, yeah, he's more sensible than those people that are just running out to fuck wherever and just like jumping off of cliffs and squirrel suits and shit. Anyway. But yeah, so we get the fun little intro titles, and then we start off in the a groovy London record shop, where uh, where Ethan gets to kind of like flirt slash get his mission <laughs> via jazz knowledge. <laughs> you can tell this was written by a screenwriter in his like late forties. <laughs> totally. Oh my god. Well, probably early fifties. Now that I think about it. Oh, it was good, but uh. <laughs> yeah so then uh yeah he gets the uh you know the the mission through the record player and everything and we we learned that it was uh vx nerve gas that he recovered from the plane and minsk which vx nerve gas always reminds me of the rock because that's where i first heard of it and the rock with nick cage and sean connery the stuff that makes you all melty face and <laughs> your own guts up or whatever they speaking they of another anniversary didn't that just hit like uh 25 or something the rock yeah, that was 97. nine. I think that was another ninety-five. No, ninety-seven. Oh, uh, we'll have to we'll have to Google. I think it was ninety-seven. Maybe it was ninety-six. Let's see. <clears throat> Maybe. Yeah, split the difference. <laughs> uh, so we learned that the IMF has been tracking the syndicate, which was hinted at the last, you know, in the last second. Ninety-six. Ninety-six. Okay. The rock. Twenty-five. Attraction. Um. So yeah, we learned that. Uh, IMF has been tracking the syndicate, the evil organization, basically inciting terrorist actions against the U.S. But uh, but surprise, this recording is actually from the syndicate. Yeah, let's, we get this whole we know nice subversion. Yeah. yeah, we know who you are now. <laughs> blah blah blah. Uh, an assassin comes in and kills the record shop cutie. And um, for a second, I thought at first glance he kind of looked like Simon Pegg's evil twin. <laughs> or uh, maybe if Simon Pegg's face kind of melted or something. I don't know. Kind of weird looking dude. Um, anyway, so he gets to give the smarmy look while uh, Ethan gets knockout gassed. Um, and um, what was that? Oh, yeah. And then the, in the next scene we get, we see that this is basically a direct continuation from Ghost Protocol. We got uh, Alec Baldwin, uh, CIA Director Hunley is now the suit in charge of uh, making a case against the, the IMF's reckless operations. Uh, and he directly references uh, Ethan stealing the knock list from the first film, the events of the last film. Um, it, it feels very much like um, uh, General Ross in Infinity War or, or mm, Civil War, yeah. where, you know, saying all the damage the Avengers have caused and everything. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So uh, Brant is there trying to defend it, you know, um, saying IMF has acted without oversight for like 40 years. Uh, uh, Alec Baldwin's character wants it dissolved for good. Um, then we 
get back to Ethan, who is now held captive, wakes up in chains with his shirt off because Tom Cruise needs to remind you that he's still in great shape. Um, <laughs> and we get uh, some new mystery lady and a bunch of henchmen ready to do a little torture. Um, but then surprise, she... A little light torture. Light torture, yeah. As a, a treat. Little seasoning, little seasoning of torture. The, the little barbecue sprinkling uh, yeah. that meme of torture. But surprise, she actually throws him the keys and they break out of They fight their way out. She uh, kicks some serious ass, by the way. Um, but then ends up staying behind to keep her cover with the syndicate. Um, uh, we get to Ethan gets off the safety, calls up Brant, lets him know that, hey, the syndicate is actually real. They need to start looking for former agents from all the agencies all over the globe, presumed dead, et cetera. This is apparently where the, how they've been recruiting. Um, Brant tells them his hands are tied. They've been completely shut down. CIA is taking over everything. So, uh, so then Ethan's like, well, crap. Um, all right. We didn't, we have, didn't this have this conversation. <laughs> yeah. We didn't have this conversation. Uh, he's disappeared into London, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. Um, <clears throat> Brant says uh, something like, oh, this this might be their last mission, so make it count. Which, I mean, IMF shut down, this possibly their last minute mission. Sounds exactly like the last movie, but oh well. <laughs> it, it's, it, it's the plot of like almost every single film. Uh-huh. Uh, Ethan, I stubbed my toe. Oh, the IMF is shut down. God damn. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but uh, damn, do they get results. They do, God damn it, they get results. <laughs> um. So Alec Baldwin, solid performance as the new, you know, thorn in our side, wants to know where Ethan is. Brant's like, you know, you'll never find him. And uh, Alec Baldwin says, oh, I love it because he's like, set your watch. He's living his last day as a free man. And then they smash cut to like six months later. <laughs> he's still out there in uh, Havana, Cuba. Um and Ethan's uh, hold up. He's doing push-ups with a Rick Grimes beard. <laughs> um, uh, the CIA team goes after him, but it turns out he actually psyched them out, led them to a different building, and basically handed over all his research for the syndicate to actually put them on the right trail. Like, stop chasing me. These are the guys you should be chasing. Um, we catch up with Benji, who is haloing it up at the office. <laughs> which is great um no doing... i've never done that before no not at all no that's that's not um reminiscent of any of my times in the in office work uh <laughs> uh benji's doing his boring cia data crunching or whatever and he's getting dragged in for like routine questioning where has ethan hunt con contacted you blah 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 um so he kind of goes off on this speech about how he doesn't owe ethan anything they're not friends you know he's still out there in the field somewhere and i'm stuck in here paying for it you know? um else? i love the fact that he's got a, a bigger role in these two films it's oh yeah amazing that simon Pegg is is the co-star basically yeah yeah once they made him like officially a field agent i love that story arc for his character he just is more and more involved and is adamant about being more involved. He's not the, uh, you know, like, Oh, I'm just a data cruncher. Leave me out of it. Like, no, he's actually all in and it's great. In fact, um, he, in these last two films, I think he wears masks more than anybody else. Yeah. Well, yes and no. Thanks for well, spoiling that masks are back. 
<laughs> yeah, but we'll get to that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he uh, he gets interrogated. Oh, but he fails to mention that surprise. These mysterious tickets to the Vienna Opera just came in the mail for him. So uh, so he goes, and then of course Ethan contacts him in a heartbeat, like once he's off the tram or whatever. Uh, tells him he needs help finding the the assassin from the record shop. He sends him a sketch over the phone, and he just needs to he just needs Benji to find this guy at the opera, tag him, and uh, let uh, let Ethan track him down from there. Um, so the opera starts. Benji's looking for the killer in the audience. Uh, Ethan's mystery woman is back there too, along with a couple of some Ivan Drago looking henchmen, uh, <laughs> but. So, uh, and both she and one of the Dragos are, uh, are getting set up in the rafters above the opera. They're getting ready to shoot, uh, um, oh, the, the chancellor, uh, chancellor of Austria, who also is in attendance that night. So, uh, so they're about to do a hit. Um, uh, Ethan goes after Drago number one. Um, when has, when has shooting a, uh, Austrian diplomat or uh, head of state ever been a problem in this world? <laughs> yeah, there's usually no long-term consequences. Yeah. Um, and I do enjoy when this his fight with this henchman dude, this big dude, I do enjoy they're putting in, as this franchise has gone on, they're, put, they're implementing more of these like very Indiana Jones moments where they take a moment to show like the bad guy towering over Tom Cruise that, like oh shit, he just got in over his head. Like that so that so that's actually something I, I, like I've noticed in all of the movies by Christopher McQuarrie is that they they consistently um, take the action movie like staple of everything always goes right for them all the time, and almost once per sequence something goes wrong in yeah. a way that you weren't expecting that changes the flow of the scene. Yeah, and it, Tom Cruise, expert spy. He doesn't just judo chop everybody out, you know, in one go. Like he he yeah. runs into somebody towering over. Well, okay, let's be real. In real life, everybody's towering over Tom Cruise, but you know, <laughs> yeah. you tower over Tom. In, yeah, yeah. But once in a while, he you know, yeah, like you said, there's an obstacle that gets in the way, and it's like, oh shit! Like we planned for everything, uh, super spies, whatever. We got this down except for this thing right in front of us. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, they have to bob and weave and recalculate. Um, like in, like later in the movie, uh, he gets hit by a fucking car. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like straight up just gets hit by a fucking car. I was like not expecting that despite the fact that I've ever seen the movie. Um, yeah. 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 So, uh, so yeah, he, but eventually he's able to get rid of Drago number one. Just in time to see Drago number two and the mystery lady both like lining up their shots. So um, so he's not sure what to do, like who to take out. So he, Ethan ends up firing at the diplomat, like grazes his arm to get him out of the way. Um, so he gets rushed out of there. Um, so, yeah, we're kind of wondering at this point, like not sure whose side she's on because it looks like she was going to shoot the chancellor as well but then she also helps benji and shoots the second drago guy when they're struggling and shit so not sure what's going on the opera house goes on lockdown uh ethan runs into her and actually says like hey i got a way out <laughs> so there's a little fun rooftop escape with them um another one of those almost like a, a light-hearted brad bird style moment where um 
the structure they tied the rope on to in order to rappel down like as soon as they walk away unscathed the whole thing comes completely crashing down behind them <laughs> so like oh shit <laughs> oh well um anyway so they're getting out of the opera house um and unfortunately the chancellor uh you think he's gone to safety but then a bomb goes off in his damn car um so everybody in there is toast Benji comes up with the escape car, gives Ethan and the new girl a lift. Uh, a new girl finally introduces herself. Uh, the character is Ilsa Faust, British intelligence. Um, and obviously undercover with the syndicate. Um, she wasn't actually going to kill the chancellor. She just had to make it look like it in order to keep her cover. Um, and uh, again, she's like, I can't be seen with you. I got to go back. So she jumps out of the car, goes back with the syndicate goons. Um, then we flash back over to angry Alec Baldwin, who says now that we know Ethan was spotted at the opera and the chancellor's dead. And so now he's basically giving like shoot to kill orders. He's like, like, we're done, like playing games, like just you see him, he's he's gone. So um, meanwhile, Ethan and Benji head to an old safe house or a train car. Um, and that, uh, that has special like fucking transformer powers apparently like sure yeah <laughs> you heard that little set the sound effect in the back <laughs> <laughs> um well it yeah. is paramount so yeah well didn't we have a transforming train car in the last one or am i mixing up movies i forget anyway no yeah yeah Wait, it was a train car yeah because that's yeah. where Brent joined the team okay whatever anyway uh so they really they, like transforming train cars they like trains <laughs> maybe but maybe the maybe it's implied that they just have transforming train cars in like every major city in the world yeah probably that that you know makes sense record shop easy safe house yeah <clears throat> or or we got another uh, instance of like a wacky producer who demands train cars in every movie <laughs> like giant spider guy what, like uh, uh 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 what's his name D Bonaventure. Yeah. I love trains. Um <laughs> uh, okay, yeah. So they get there. Ethan gets Benji up to speed. The syndicate has been recruiting ex-operatives from everywhere all across the globe and has been causing accidents to happen, basically terrorist incidents everywhere. They're creating civil wars, they're downing planes, etc. An anti-IMF, if you will. Uh destroying the okay, system. So I I I, I the anti-IMF thing. Yeah, I know yeah. Christopher McQuarrie, like, probably really... This was something that was, like, one of his foundational ideas for this whole story. And mm -hmm. he, he probably... It was, like, the main thematic idea for the whole movie. And... It barely even registers. <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh... It's like, shaky, but whatever, you know, Benji's on board and that's all that matters for this point of the plot. <laughs> yeah, but like, you know, like there's so much emphasis on that on that term and the way he delivers it, like you can tell it was directed to be like a moment of significance and then it's literally never brought up again. Like an anti-IMF. Bum, bum, bum. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it, it, like, it, it, it's like, it seems like the inciting... Uh, the inciting idea for the entire plot of the film mm. and we never get it explored in any more depth really other than they're all ex uh intelligence agents yeah well we do get an explanation how it was formed later 
but we'll, we'll get, we'll get to that. Um, but yeah, Benji's on board. In fact, he's so on board. He actually makes this, uh, kind of passionate speech about how he's not going back. Damn it. You know, Ethan, I'm a field agent. I'm your friend and I'm staying. He, he basically Oprah couches, Tom Cruise. <laughs> uh, so he's like, cool, man. Uh, and they decide to track down Ilsa, um, using her convenient USB lipstick. They, that she left them. Um, now, meanwhile, uh, Ilsa gets questioned by our big bad mystery man. Uh, on closer inspection, he's like a department store mannequin come to life, really. Um, but <laughs> uh, he's suspicious of her because she's let Ethan get away twice now. So he, he asks what Ethan knows. Uh, she says uh, he knows about the power plant in Morocco, but, but not about what's in it. Um, you know, find him. Oh, he'll find me, whatever. So what's in Morocco? Uh, cut back to Benji uh, reading the lipstick flash drive and uh, find some info on it about some secure digital vault, something or other, whatever. We're off to uh, Casablanca. Um, <clears throat> there's a, another quick scene where uh, Brant uh, recruits Luther, brings Luther back into the game to help him find Ethan before the CIA does. Um, and then back in Morocco, Ilsa gives the big bad a name. Uh, Solomon Lane is our big bad, uh, form, another former British intelligence. Uh, he actually created the syndicate. Uh, she was sent in undercover to gain his trust and learn who his agents were, et cetera, et cetera. She found out about this uh, ledger of all of his contacts, associates, inner workings of the entire syndicate, the MTIMF, um, and someone stole it, but kept it into this secure computer facility, and now... A big bad Solomon Lane has sent her to retrieve it, but it's impossible to break in. Uh, she said the magic word, impossible. Um, so um, Benji is so happy in this moment. He finally gets to wear a mask as they're planning. He's like, oh, imagining it. Like, oh, yeah, I walk in and get to wear a mask. And then, no, they break his heart again. He doesn't because apparently the security system analyzes like your walking gait, your facial tics, like literally everything imaginable so um and yeah anyway uh so at this point i was wondering like i honestly didn't remember the next movie very well but i was wondering if they will ever let benji wear a mask like if they're just going to keep this gag going where he almost does but doesn't until like maybe the very final film. well yeah and he wears a, <laughs> he wears a mask in fallout like four different times yeah 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 so but at this point i was like i didn't remember anything from fallout so i was like huh i wonder like that'd be hilarious if they just refuse to let him wear a mask until like movie eight or something <laughs> but anyway um so yeah there's no way into this facility unless you're already in the uh security systems profiles and the only way to change the profile is to hop into a giant water cooling system like a a fucking giant cooler master um and again, like the last movie, the plot is having us jump into a literal giant computer for some reason. I'm like, just like uh, um, um, Jeremy Renner supermanning through that weird hallway of, of like computer system. It's as oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Where where he had the magnet suit on? Yeah, the magnet suit thing. Uh, at this point, I was kind of like, okay, I'm enjoying this movie, but are the writers just like stuck in the 1950s where they think computers are still the, taking up an entire room with, with vacuum tubes and punch cards and shit. But when they actually access a terminal, it looks like uh, P 
pin and uh, it looks like a pins scene from uh, hackers. Yeah, uh, but whatever. Um, uh, we get another quick, just a super quick scene of uh, Brant and Luther, uh, just so Ving Rhames can say cool things like, bitch, I could have done this at home. And he immediately like hacks the system and tracks down Ilsa and Casablanca. So they know where they are now. Um, the uh, Ethan Ben, the, the Scooby gang starts the break in. You know, Benji uh, walks right in with no mask, sadly. Um, and Ethan dives into the giant cooler master. Um, Ilsa shuts down the cooling system. So the water current stops and Ethan gets time to do his thing. And I, I actually had a question for you guys, because this is a game that I play with myself. Do you ever hold your breath along with movies? Yeah, sometimes. Like, yeah. Just to see like, if it's feasible, like if you could hold your breath as long as the character does and, and action movies and it. Yeah. Um, but in this movie, so more behind the scenes, Tom Cruise actually trained to hold his breath underwater for six minutes to get. Why? 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 <laughs> Why? 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 Yeah. It even says in the fucking Wikipedia article that they didn't even use a single take. They cut a bunch of different takes out of. Yeah. Then so at he... that point, he's just doing it because he wants to. Yeah, sure. But it's, then he, it's like it's like um it's like fucking Joker mailing a dead rat to his his uh <laughs> fucking just the cast uh, group. yeah. Have um, you tried acting, my dear boy? <laughs> uh, but yeah, he hold, he held his breath. He learned to train to train to hold his breath uh, underwater for six minutes. Uh, he then had to actually act, uh, you know, while holding his breath, including a part where he has to act like he was losing consciousness, where he actually like runs out of breath. And again, the stunt coordinator, uh, Wade Eastwood, he said on two or three occasions, he actually brought him up because he felt he was down there for too long. And Tom Cruise yelled at him. He's like, what are you doing? Like, I was right in the moment. I'm acting, man. And uh, the stunt coordinator is like, I know, but it, it was just, it was too real for me. I, I was uncomfortable. <laughs> so he, the stunt coordinator wasn't sure, like, <laughs> like how well he was doing down there, especially because the scene is actually him acting like he's choking out. Oh no, he just got brain damage while he was down there. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, what's left for Tom Cruise to do in these movies? Literally die. Like Ethan runs out of air, passes out, and then Ilsa jumps in to save him uh, and seemingly very easily revives him with just a quick, you know, uh, jolt. Um, the Benji's so already... if he if he accidentally does die on one of these films, I think he's got it in his contract that they have to use that scene in the movie. <laughs> you <can> say, yeah, <laughs> you have to use that so, take. So my my favorite scene in the whole movie is actually the very next scene, um, because uh, it, it continues with that thing that I said earlier in that um, a wrench gets thrown into the usual easy gears it's when he slides over the car and just like totally yeah. beefs it because <laughs> awesome. he just died <laughs> yeah that was fantastic no was it, it, and it's 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 little things and it's why i like christopher mccrory as an action movie like screenwriter because he gets that you have to give these people realistic stakes like yeah. like if you have a do if you have a character that literally almost just died uh yeah. from like 
their heart stopping. <clears throat> and then they'd start like trying to do a whole, like pretty much anything motor, motor coordinated. Yeah. They're going to fail miserably at it. <laughs> yeah. It goes back to what, you know, my favorite, you know, the finale of the first film, you know, the, the train coming to a stop and him just holding back for dear life as the helicopter blade is at his neck, you know? Yeah. Your, your hero has to barely make it through their adventure. Um, so, uh, so yeah. It, so It's like, it's what I like to call uh, the, the glass in the foot. Yeah. Diehard glass in the foot. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, now it's time for an extreme motorcycle chase. So, uh, oh yeah. Benji's all relieved and thankful as she revived him, but then, Elsa shocks him with the paddles, steals the info that they just recovered, and she's back on the run. So we get extreme motorcycle chase, which we haven't had since MI2. <laughs> um, but Ilsa gets confronted by the syndicate goons. She escapes them. Then everyone is chasing her. Benji and Ethan literally run into Luther and Brant, <laughs> who are trying to meet up with them. And everybody's chasing everybody. Then Ethan proceeds to flip the car about 12 times before they come to a stop. <laughs> um, um, but, uh, oh yeah, and e Ethan's still got to go after Ilsa though. Uh, and it's an extreme, extreme motorcycle chase until she puts a stop to it, like basically making crash his bike because she just stopped in the middle of the road. Um, well, okay, so this moment was really silly for me. She literally, like, just steps out in front of him, and it looks like he's, like, 40 feet away from him, from her, and when he puts his bike down, so it just looks like he went, oh, crash, <laughs> just because, like, she's, I don't know, it, it just... Is the it, way that they framed it just like it seemed like sort of like some wily, wily coyote bullshit. Like, is it um, the uh, the the oh I forget the actor's name, but the security the security guard in Austin Powers uh, doing the yeah, yeah. no the team roller <laughs> yeah the guy from um uh like Mad TV Mad TV yeah what's yeah yeah uh Stewart <laughs> look what I can do well yeah <laughs> look what I yeah. can do. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so after all that mess, Benji actually has a copy of the syndicate data. So yay. So back in London, Ilsa meets up with her British intelligence contact, who is the biggest dick boss we've ever seen in this series of dick bosses. Um, she delivers the drive, but he's not convinced it's real. And he basically gives her no choice but to go back to the syndicate. She's like, I can't. Like, I've betrayed their trust too many times. Like, they'll just straight up kill me. And he basically tells her, like, you can fix that by killing Ethan. Because if she goes back, they'll obviously say, like, well, you have to kill Ethan to prove your worth or whatever. Um, oh, and by the way, the CIA called. So we just told them you're a terrorist. Ta-ta, time for tea. Um, so her bosses completely fuck her over. Back with, uh, back with the Scooby gang, uh, they realize that the syndicate data they have is in a, is in a red box, quote fingers. Um, basically, it's so encrypted that they need a voice authorization from the British Prime Minister himself, uh, meaning that they just helped the big bad guy Lane steal it, and he's probably now going after the Prime Minister, so we got to get to him first. Um, Meanwhile, uh, Ilsa is now back with the big bad uh, Lane. He rambles about how he's not a terrorist. He's not trying to incite fear. He's trying to create change. Blah, blah, blah. Bad guy bullshit. Um, and surprise, the drive is empty. Um, 
And so she's in trouble and he does some creepy fucking bad guy face touching, uh, whatever. Um, anyway, uh, a bit later, our gang catches up with her and she and Ethan have a little chat. Um, she realizes that um, his, uh, uh, her, her dick boss Esquire uh, left her high and dry by deleting the files off of the drive. And um, she realizes just how much they don't give a flying shit about her. So she lays out options to Ethan. She's like, uh, you know, he can turn her and the disc into the CIA but they probably won't believe him and the Scooby-Doo gang will be tried for treason, whatever. He can try to go after Lane himself, but he might lose. Um, or three, run away with me, American boyfriend. <laughs> just kind of out of the blue, like, oh, by the way, just come run away with me. I mean, I kind of get it. It's like, okay, like both of our governments don't give a shit about us anyway. Like we're trash to them. So just Run away like, with me into the night. <laughs> yeah. Feels a little forced a little early, but eh, okay. Um, but then while they're distracted, Benji gets kidnapped. Ethan gets a call from Lane saying, deliver the unlocked disc by midnight. So they have to take the prime minister. Um, we check back in again with uh, Hunley, Alec Baldwin, uh, Brant calls him, lets him know that they're in London. He's trying to prevent everything from going wrong, but he also doesn't want his friends killed. So Brant's basically going behind their backs saying, like, telling the CIA, like, hey, come out and, you know, we'll, uh, like, I, I want Ethan captured alive. And, you know, that's that. But we got to put a stop to these, you know, all the shit going down. Um, uh, the prime minister is at some events. Um uh, the British intelligence guy, the dick boss, uh, Atlee, Atlee is his name, um, Elsa's boss from British intelligence. He's also there. So uh, Hunley alerts him that the prime minister is being targeted. They all get in a room together. But as soon as Brant mentions uh, the, the syndicate that Ethan's been chasing, the prime minister goes, the syndicate, knowing look, like he couldn't be talking about that syndicate, right? Could he? Because uh, Atlee, British Intelligence, you told me that the syndicate was just an exercise. So everything, all the beans get spilled. Apparently, it was actually this Atlee dude's idea to record, recruit former agents from other nations, uh, give them new identities, use them to uh, like very surgically remove their enemies from home and abroad, you know, and uh, uh, their own IMF, basically, or anti-IMF. Um it would and, be even uh, more off the books than off the yeah, books. Even more off the books than off the books. Yeah, doing things dirty. Uh, it was all Atlee's idea, and uh, the oh, the operating budget would be hidden in the red box, and the prime minister would be judge, jury, executioner, like given complete free reign. Um, but the prime minister, good guy, he completely rejected the idea, and he was assured that that was the end of it. But I guess not. Uh, Prime Minister tries to leave. Atlee shoots him with a train dart because, surprise, it's actually Ethan uh, setting the whole thing up so all the players can get all the secrets revealed. Um, that's our one mask reveal for the whole movie, basically, other than the, the imaginary one that we see Benji play out earlier at the, uh, the water vault fucking thing. Um, but yeah, they, uh, 
so they get uh, they get all these biometric scans they need off of him, the prime minister, so Luther can unlock the drive. And the real Atlee from British Intelligence shows up. They trank him, dope him up, and he admits freely to creating the syndicate. Uh, but then Lane, the big bad guy, went rogue. So he's been trying to cover the whole thing up ever since. Been trying to cover his ass, of course. Um, and Ethan and Brent, oh, so actually, it's a pretty fun scene. Like I'm explaining all this crazy plot, but it ends with a fun bit where Ethan and Brant are basically cooking up a story in motion about how uh, Atlee came in and attacked the prime minister and Hunley saved him, you know, bravely. And, uh, and like Hunley, Alec Baldwin gets that twinkle in the, in his eye, like, oh, damn it, Hunt, you're okay in my book. <laughs> like he gets like, oh, okay. So we're going to come out the heroes here and, and, you know, do everything right. So, uh, so Luther sees that the unlocked drive has access to an insane amount of money. He tells Ethan like, bro, we can't trade this for Benji. Like, like we love Benji, but we will be unleashing a terrorist superpower if we just hand over all these billions. Um, and Ethan says something dumb, like he'll never take me alive. Um, Ethan actually destroys the drive and then goes off to the meetup. Ilsa is waiting for him along with Benji strapped to a freaking bomb uh lane is somewhere far away in safety monitoring like a wuss um and ilsa says like once he has what he wants basically she's supposed to kill them both um lane the big bad explains how he always he always knew it would end up like this because he's so smart he's always been 48 steps ahead of everyone which like fine okay this is what spy movies do but I feel like at this point we've seen this in so many movies now, like that it, it's kind Skyfall, of Skyfall, Dark Knight. Yeah, like after exact after Star Trek I, Into Darkness, especially after the Dark Knight, <sighs> we got a slew of action movies that tried to do the same thing, capture that same magic. Not just spy movies where the bad guy is like impossibly a hundred nonsensical steps ahead. Like that's that's one thing that really pissed me off about Skyfall. Like I enjoyed the, it for the most part, but that bit of it, like there's no way there's absolutely no way that this could have all been planned out none whatsoever it's dumb but whatever um but ethan aha he reveals the, that i he, wanted to get captured trope you know yeah i wanted to get captured and then i wanted to make it look like i was escaping and then recaptured so then this also avengers did it too like yeah yeah whatever uh so ethan reveals that he memorized the disc data and he proves it by writing down the info for like hey here's 50 million dollars just you know you know leap you know show of faith or whatever and lane confirms it and um he gets him to let benji go uh right before the bomb's about to go off um then he just six his henchmen you know says to kill ilsa and bring ethan in alive there's a little foot chase uh ilsa gets a knife fight with some tall dude in the dark it's actually pretty cool um and then uh lane finally shows up in the flesh i mean he still looks like the fucking seat of Chucky, but whatever. He, he uh, appears face to face with Ethan. And, uh, and then Ethan leads him into a literal glass box, <laughs> um, which mirrors the beginning of the film, the record store at the beginning of the movie, even being trapped in the, in the room. Um, and um, so they load him up for special delivery. Um, it'll knock him out with the knockout gas. Uh, Ilsa and Ethan get cozy for a minute and then they part ways, but she gives kind of like a, Hey, you know where to find me. Um, or you know how to find me basically. Um, 
And that's pretty much it. Like it's, I realized this film was a bit more subdued than the other ones. It was a lot more of like espionage intrigue uh, as opposed to big explodey uh, action sort of. I mean, there is some and we get the big motorcycle chase and everything, which is fun, but um, it ends a lot more quietly, I think. You know, a little foot chase into the glass box. Yeah. 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 It's pretty clear that Christopher McQuarrie with this one was like, this was set up. This was, yeah. This was the beginning to his own, like, his own Mission Impossible franchise almost. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, we clearly get, especially watching these movies back to back was perfect because it's definitely a part one, part two. Um, but we get a little wrap up, a quick wrap up, wrap up scene mirroring the beginning again, back in Washington. Uh, Hunley is back in front of the panel of crotchety old G men, like kind of the same people that like Mulder and Scully had to answer to uh, several times. <laughs> um, and uh, he's now, on the side of the IMF, he's feeding them a that, bullshit. Story. The House Subcommittee. The House yeah. Subcommittee. Yeah, he's feeding them a bullshit story about he demanded the disbanding of the IMF as all a part of a plan to take down the syndicate all along. It's just um, their cover. It's just their cover. I was yeah, yeah, it was always a cover all along. Yeah, and he's now asking them to be properly reinstated. And as they're walking out the door, uh, Brant welcomes him to the IMF as their new secretary. So, and that's it roll credits and we jump right into i was gonna say movie number two uh, part two of this of christopher mccrory's thing mission impossible six uh fallout mission impossible fallout is that the one with superman that's the one with superman yes <laughs> starring superman and superman's mustache <laughs> so uh so about going back to the you know the last one real quick uh mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. It was not my favorite by any measure. Um, yeah, it was fine, but again, more subdued kind of. It uh, was fine. Yeah, I guess like I, I liked the little moments where things went wrong. I think those are in in all of the movies that Christopher Christopher McQuarrie has done. I think that's like by far the theme that I I like the most of his, and I I think it's the. the the most it's the moments where the characters feel the most real and most humanized and it's the moments where i like ethan is his his moments of weakness and his moments of like being a real physical human with constraints on his body you know despite the fact that oh sorry go ahead he he literally hangs from buildings consistently and is impervious to long-term damage um uh yeah. despite you know dying um but again it's it's the diehard uh shard of glass in the foot you know yeah exactly um it, 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 it allows you to have some empathy and uh, imagine that this person is somehow real yeah for Todd, sure. what were you gonna say i can definitely tell uh, i can definitely remember why this is the uh, only film as an adult that i know i've fallen asleep in the theater and <laughs> oh really was, uh, yeah this is the only film as an adult that I actually fell asleep in the theater for. Oh, jeez. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, I actually sort of do like the ending, how because I remember I was watching it, and as I was watching it, I thought to myself, "Man, I don't remember how this movie ends." Yeah. <laughs> and then, as about two minutes later, they put him in the glass box, and I was yeah. like, "Oh, that's right. It sort of just ends." Yeah, like yeah. they're chasing him down the the, the alleyway, and yeah. he's like, "Oh, I turned this way, you turn that way," and then all of a sudden, whoop! 
falls into a thing he's in the box the movie's over and i was like oh that's why i don't remember the end of this movie because that's the end of the movie yeah it just kind of fades out it just sort of ends yeah and, yeah, and then just setting uh setting up Alec Baldwin as the new boss, you know. Yeah, exactly. Um, um, that's pretty much it. But watching them back to back, it feels really solid. It just feels like that. If if this movie franchise was like a season of television, this was just uh, kind of a pivotal mid-season moment before you get uh, to. Yeah, I mean, uh, sort of. Uh, well, I don't know. I feel like Fallout is so much better that it's like almost not even the same conversation. Because yeah. uh, Rogue Nation is good. And I guess at the time that it came out, it, it, it because Fallout wasn't, you couldn't compare it to Fallout. It was, it was good. But it, uh, even then, I didn't like it as much as Ghost Protocol. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's definitely fun. And I, I remember watching it because uh, I watched it at home. I didn't watch it in the theater. I watched it like three or four years ago. Um, I remember thinking like, oh, that was good. Hmm. Wasn't as good as Ghost Protocol though. Uh, mm-hmm. And I get that Macquarie obviously was like setting up stuff for later. But at, now after watching Fallout, like Fallout is so superior in mm-hmm. just everything. Like... The stakes are much higher. I mean, it had Angela Bassett and Henry Cavill. How could it not be better? Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. the only Mission Impossible movie I've actually watched. And oh, the God. and the the action scenes in Fallout are just phenomenal. They're uh, that helicopter chase went on probably like five minutes too long, though, I would say. Sure, but I agree. But that also was not my favorite sequence in the film. Uh, my favorite sequence of the film was the fucking 1980s BMW chase. <laughs> yeah, That was fun. I, I liked him running through the office building and then jumping out the window. That was yeah. also pretty good. Yeah. Jumping out the window. So uh, a couple of things I forgot to mention. Uh, newcomers for the series, which then we'll get again in the in the Fallout. Um, the big bad, Solomon Lane, was played by Sean Harris who I didn't recognize from anything really um, uh, English actor. He's, he's uh, done a lot of like Shakespeare adaptations and stuff. He was in a Macbeth and whatever. Was um, he in Game of Thrones? I don't believe he's in Game of Thrones, but the one thing that when I was going through, I he looks like know, he could be in Sh- Game of Thrones. He could be. Yeah. But uh, holy crap. He was in Prometheus. He was, I haven't a seen that. he was a character named Fifield who is, the guy who gets infected and becomes kind of like a super mutant, like weirdo. Wait, that that's actor. him? Yeah, that was him. Yeah. What? Yeah, but he's got Whoa. all the super intense hair and stuff. Yeah, he's got like a... What? Yeah. Holy crap, he has not aged well. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Yeah. And then... Uh, oh, man, has he not aged well. Yeah. And then Ilsa Faust, played by Rebecca Ferguson, who I recognize from a couple of things. She was uh, actually most recently I saw her in uh, Dr. Sleep, the um, the the shining. The king. Yeah. Yeah. She was Rose the Hat in Dr. Sleep. I fucking loved her in that. She's an awesome baddie. 
she's going to be in Dune as uh, Lady Jessica. Uh, she, I didn't see it, but that last Men in Black International, she was in that, I guess. She was in that? She was in The Greatest Showman. Yeah. Oh, I think she was the weapons dealer in that. Okay. Right. Yeah. It was a forgettable movie. If you haven't watched it, don't bother. That actor, Sean Harris, he's also in 24-hour party people. Okay. He plays Ian Curtis, the lead singer of Joy Division in 24-hour party people. (laughs) That's crazy. All right. So yeah, uh, three years after Rogue Nation, we get uh, the sequel Mission Impossible Fallout 2018. And, uh, oh shit, you're right, Byron. Two hours and 27 minutes. <laughs> but, um, it was a but, long one. Yeah. I enjoyed it, though. It's good stuff. Um, so we get the second half of this story. Uh, Rebecca Ferguson, Sean Harris are back. Angela Bassett joins the team. Um, and, uh, well, let's, let's jump right into it. So, Mission Possible Fallout. We start off with a, a good old fashioned dream sequence, Doomsday Vision. Um, I mean, this movie's called Fallout, so you know it's going to deal with nukes. You know, they're going to do the, the double entendre there. Um, and Julia is back. Julia is back since uh, um, I haven't seen her since the fourth film, where just very briefly, we know that she's like in hiding for or she basically got a new life because otherwise, you know, even wouldn't be able to protect her. Um, and they're directly uh, referencing that this whole uh, dream sequence. Uh, they're getting married again in some like beautiful mountain scenery, but the priest, the, his speech, he starts taking jabs at Ethan. Like you forced her into hiding. You failed to protect her, blah, 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 blah. Because the surprise, the priest is actually Solomon Lane, our, uh, our puppet looking to be a real boy someday. Uh, so, so we've got the most direct sequel of the franchise on our hands. You should have killed me, Ethan, blah, blah, blah. But then he snaps awake. Ethan wakes up in Belfast and delivery man knocks at the door, gives him a package. And of course he gets his mission. Um, and, uh, Oh, this time the mission is hidden in a copy of the Odyssey kind of classy. Um, but we find out. So it's been, uh, it's been two years since Solomon Lane was captured and the fallout of that, uh, they said the name of the movie. Um, yeah. Uh, is a, a portion of the syndicate is still continuing operations without him. Uh, and the remnants uh, of that call themselves the Apostles, which kind of remind me, wasn't that like from Metal Gear? The, it wasn't, oh no, that was the Patriots, I think. Um, it's just a generic uh, bad guy name for... Yeah, there was some other, Byron, wasn't there... Uh, in Metal Gear, uh, isn't the the secret organization, ancient organization, that was like the something like the Apostles or or something? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, this so yeah. In, in in this movie now, there's the Ethan gets the mission um, and uh, finds out that the syndicate is still running without Solomon Lane or a portion of it. They're calling themselves the Apostles. But anyway, also we didn't see any resolution to that whatsoever to the apostles so they're definitely going to be back yeah i guess we didn't no the only people who like just taken out right okay 
All right. Well, yeah, let's, let's, let's get to it. So, um, so yeah, the apostles, the remnants of the syndicate minus Solomon Lane, they are now terrorists for hire and uh, they just caused a small, a uh, smallpox outbreak and they've been hired by some new mysterious client going by a fake name, John Lark, who is uh, calling for the destruction of the current world order because why not? Um you know, whenever I hear these generic bad guy speeches about like causing destruction, mayhem, chaos, whatever, it just kind of makes me think of the head of Richard Nixon in Futurama, where <laughs> he has that he has that speech about how he's like, "I'm gonna break into people's houses at night and wreck up the place." <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's great, but anyway. Um, oh, and also, there's a, a nuclear scientist um, that's missing, and three plutonium cores have been stolen. Of course, so. So the Scooby gang, Ethan, Luther, Benji, uh, no Brent this time. Um, I guess uh, I guess they didn't invite uh, Hawkeye back to the game this time, or maybe he didn't. He, maybe I he was too busy he, with Avengers stuff. I think he literally had scheduling conflicts with Avengers at this time. Probably, yeah, makes sense. Um, so Ethan, Luther, Benji, they go uh, to buy the nukes off of the thieves themselves before they get a chance to sell it to the uh, the apostles. Um, in the middle of the deal, though, the apparently the apostle people, the henchmen, get the drop on Luther uh, and demand the plutonium for his life. There's a standoff. Ethan actually shoots Luther in the vest <laughs> um, to drop him. Bad guys get away with the nukes. Oh, well. And then we cut to Wolf Blitzer <laughs> announcing that uh, that a coordinated attack just happened. Nukes have been set off at the Vatican uh jerusalem and the holy city of mecca um ethan and luther are in a hospital where the nuclear scientist uh delbrook is his name uh he apparently has been found and he's recovering in the hospital but he is he's all in on the anti-religion thing he's he's all happy that the attacks happened and now they're questioning him because they know he's working with this john lark big bad dude um this scientist guy he wrote a manifesto about how there needs to be great suffering in order for great peace blah 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 he demands that it it should be read on the air um if uh, oh and if they do that he'll uh, he'll unlock his phone with the info to track down john lark um so ethan's all angry and blah 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 but god damn it he makes the call and Next thing you know, Wolf Blitzer starts reading this manifesto on the air to them in the hospital. Um, and the so, sign, dude, he's all happy. Oh, right ahead. before we get to that point, I just want to say, this is the first time I've seen this movie. Uh -huh. um, I, as soon as he picked up the phone, I was like, oh, okay, I know what this is. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, so... Uh, and a good uh, nod to the very first like scene of the very first movie, the franchise. Yeah. Um, so they get the manifesto read on air. Uh, Delbrook, he's all happy and, you know, ha, ha, ha. Go ahead, goes ahead and unlocks the phone for them. Luther confirms they got what they need. And then boom, whoop, walls drop down. It's a total fake out. Uh, Really good Wolf fake. Wolf like, rips off his mask. Yep, and it's Benji. He got to wear a mask finally. <laughs> yeah, he got to be Wolf fucking Blitzer. It's hilarious. Um, and then we uh, flash over to an airbase in Germany. 
Oh, I specifically put down it was Rammstein Air Base, which is hilarious to me. Du Haast. Du Haast. Ethan meets up with Hunley. Hunley's back. He's, he's the new boss. And uh, gives him the rundown. The phone led them to some info on uh, uh, Alana Mitsopolis, a.k.a. the White Widow. Uh, philanthropist but it's really all a front for her arms dealing money laundering blah 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 blah. she's a lady big bad uh, also confirmed she's in uh, both of the next sequels oh so awesome she's, she sticks around the awesome. white widow yeah sweet i really liked her character Thanks. um so john lark and the widow are meeting tonight in paris at a charity event presumably to make a deal for the plutonium uh, and Hunley also reassures Ethan he believes in him, he's got his back and uh, because of that we of course need an angry new person in a suit <laughs> and in walks the queen mother of Wakanda, Angela Bassett uh, Erica Sloan and her CIA man August Walker, played by our blue boy scout Henry Cavill and Henry Cavill's mustache mm-hmm. um, actually Angela Bassett uh, I know her a lot now me and meg from um uh, that show on fox 911 uh angela bassett's one of the headliners on there she's like this like um badass lady detective or, or uh police sergeant i think whatever but it's a fun like uh procedural show but she's awesome on it she kicks ass um anyway so we know we already know the backstory on this, but uh, you know, for the listeners at home, when Henry Henry Cavill committed to his role in Fallout, uh, he thought he wouldn't need to uh, be putting on the Superman cape again anytime soon. However, Justice League turned out to be Justice League, <laughs> and uh, he was called back in for the reshoots, uh, and he had to work on both movies simultaneously, um, and his. Fallout character's mustache caused the problem and Paramount would not allow him to shave it for the Superman reshoots. So hence the ridiculously digitally removed. Yeah. The CGI upper lip of Superman in the, in Whedon's justice league, which oof. (laughs) Uh, But yeah. So anyway, um, uh, what was her name? Erica Sloan. Uh, demands that her man go along with the mission to keep the situation under control because she doesn't trust the IMF because we always need somebody in the suit not trusting the IMF. Uh, we get the the standard procedure dick measuring scene with Ethan and Walker on the plane. Uh, they know about each other's reputations. Walker just kills every syndicate agent he sees, which is why they don't have a living witness to identify their mystery man, John Lark, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and now it's time to halo jump over Paris. Um, so for those of you not familiar, uh, halo stands for high altitude, low opening. It's a technique used by militaries to stealthily get teams into hostile territory territory without being detected. It's long story short. It's a very risky way of skydiving. Um, and it's super fucking dangerous. Yeah. Um, and of course, Tom Cruise demanded that he do it himself. So he became the first actor to Halo jump on camera. Um, and he did it. Can you guess how many times? Twelve. I would say at least at least six takes. 
I'm one take. I'm pointing my finger up. Oh, up, up, go higher. Thirty. <laughs> Fifty. What? A hundred <laughs> times? According to the article I read, one hundred jumps to film this scene. It was yeah. like a two-minute scene. Oh. So Tom Cruise had to jump from a plane at 25,000 feet and deploy his parachute below 2,000 feet. Holy um, shit. Some paradroppers don't have that do you, many jumps. Do you, okay, so as someone who has like flown airplanes in the past, do you understand how fast you would be going at that speed? Like yeah. you've already hit terminal velocity. You're literally going as fast as the human body can go. Yeah. And then you, the moment you pull that cord, the weight of your the 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 snapback force of your shoot could break your fucking neck. Yeah. He was hoping it would extend his spine and he would get like two inches taller. <laughs> that's what he that's the secret. Uh side note, Byron, you just reminded me you just sparked a like a neuron fired off in my brain when you said terminal velocity, because I remember mm-hmm. that is a name of a long lost 90s action flick starring Oh yeah, terminal uh, velocity. Yeah, starring um starring uh, um fucking what's his two name? Half men. Uh yeah, him and the the other Tiger guy. Blood. Yeah. Yeah. Charlie Sheen. Charlie, Charlie Sheen, Sheen, thank you. Yeah. Well, who's the other person in that movie? James Gandolfini. And Christopher McDonald. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. Okay. It's all full circle. Perfect. <laughs> all right. The tagline uh, so... is fast and fun. <laughs> oh, it's <laughs> oh, fantastic. Jesus so, Christ. Yeah. So despite Tom Cruise's hubris, uh, Ethan is actually the cautious one in this scene, or seemingly. Uh, he because he goes wait hold up there's like a storm here we're gonna have to rethink this jump but then Walker pushes him aside and goes Leroy Jenkins <laughs> and uh, he does he even does like the in a very 80s movie bully voice like what's the matter scared of a little lightning and then <laughs> they immediately proceed to get struck by lightning or lightning strikes very close by them where they get disoriented and so Walker is actually unconscious for a moment. And Ethan has to fly back over and save him, deploy his shoot for him. Ethan ends up landing pretty badly. Would have been a really short film if Ethan just didn't save him. (laughs) Seriously, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Seriously, yeah. And then Walker just gently floats down like nothing ever happened. Uh, Kind of ridiculous. Like you lost your oxygen. That that actually like really confused me. I was. uh, It was a like he's like oh you forgot your oxygen tank like motherfucker you were just unconscious for like three minutes yeah. And you just like thought like, oh, it was just a really short trip. I guess. Yeah. I don't. (laughs) Whatever. Anyway. um, So they get into the the charity event thing. They track their mystery man to the bathroom. Uh, Walker knocks him out. But in doing so, wrecks up the damn mask maker computer thing. Um, So they have to hide out. uh, Haven't seen bathroom destruction like this since True Lies. Oh. And that's a good fucking oh, classic. That's a good scene. <laughs> that didn't say I would say this with with such uh, with such joy and and uh, you know reminiscence, but oh, that is classic bathroom destruction. <laughs> 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 uh, anyway, wait, 
What about Slither? Uh, you know what? That's classic, one I've never classic, I still have classic bathroom destruction. I still have not seen Slither in full. Because the I'm monsters come out of their butts. Oh, God. <laughs> That's <laughs> why course, Tony hasn't seen it. Of course they fucking do. Yeah. Yep. I've seen like the tail end of it on TV or something that after Michael Rooker becomes all. Blah, 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 yeah, it's James thing. Gunn. So. Yeah, yeah. And Nathan Billions in it. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Um, so anyway, uh, yeah, mask making computers broke. They have to hide out and stall real quick while some other dudes walk in. But, um, but then their guy wakes up and a pretty rad fight scene takes place. Um, he almost has Ethan, but then someone puts a bullet in his head. And that someone is Ilsa, back for more fun. Uh, and it's a funny line, by the way. Uh, can you still make a mask? I need a face to make a mask. <laughs> no, I, I thought that was good too. It's good, yeah. So uh, he's got to go meet the widow without a mask and just hope that they've never met before. Um, Ilsa goes along with Ethan, warning him there's like all kinds of paid assassins here ready to kill John Lark. So they're going to assume that's him when he goes to meet the widow. How do you know all this? I can't tell you. Well, of course, she's got to play the secret theme again. Uh, and then we get the introduction to the White Widow. She's giving a speech about her mother's legacy, her mother, Max, who had a fascination with paradoxes. She is referring to Maxine, the arms dealer from Mission Impossible 1. That's this her mom? Her, this is her daughter, yeah. Okay, so that's what I thought they were alluding to, but I wasn't yeah. sure. Yeah, that, they were 100%. Yeah, and great casting, by the way, because this, uh, this is Vanessa Kirby, who sounds a lot like Vanessa Redgrave, or maybe that's an accent she's putting on. I don't know her normal speech, but when you hear her making that speech, I was like, wow, that sounds a lot like Max. Oh, wow, this is Max's daughter. It makes sense. Interesting. Um, she was, uh, this girl, Vanessa Kirby, she was in The Crown, the Netflix series, which mm. I haven't seen, but I've heard great things about. Uh, she was in Hobbs and Shaw. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, Todd, you confirmed she's actually going to be back in movies seven and eight as well, so um so ethan meets up with her pretends to be john lark uh she warns the widow he warns the widow that her life is in danger and yeah has her take a peek at all the dudes around the room waiting to like take their shot uh he gets her out of there she's got this uh she's actually got this very classy butterfly knife under her dress that was a good uh, move i liked that move yeah that was pretty cool uh Issa, ilsa also helps out for a hot second but then she disappears in the shadows like she does um uh, so they go back to uh, uh, the widow's place and there's a whole bunch of henchmen standing around planning shit. Uh, they're planning to extract the assets. Um, but then Ethan quickly learns that they're not talking about the plutonium. They're breaking out Solomon Lane, our big bad from the last movie. Uh, and the widow and her guys, they don't even know who he is. They're, they're just paid. Like they're just paid to get him. So Ethan fills them in. And she's like, what's wrong? You seem upset. Uh, he says, well, you know, I came here for plutonium, you know, and she says, well, she's just a broker setting up a deal. Like the person who wants with plutonium is only, only going to give it up in exchange for Solomon Lane. Uh, and she even gives him one of the cores as a down payment. And, um, and then we get this sequence where Ethan realizes in his head that if he goes on with this, he's going to have to actually probably kill cops in front of these guys to maintain his cover through this whole thing. Uh, and he has, uh, but then he has this very unconvincing line, like 
like when they say like is something wrong and he's like i kill women and children with smallpox uh i don't know it seems kind of under there, there is no line yeah there is no line that was what it was yeah um but then uh walker goes off to meet his boss erica and starts telling her that he believes ethan is actually the real john lark and actually a traitor uh hands her some a packet of info or something um Anyway, we flash forward to the the armored car heist happens. They knock Solomon Lane's car into the river uh, and actually dump the widow's henchmen out on the street. Clever move so they don't have to kill anybody. And then uh, they head back to the river where Benji and Luther grab Solomon Lane. Um, First, they got to hop on some motorcycles, though, and Ethan's uh, engine stalls. So he falls behind, gets chased by the cops, giving Tom Cruise more motorcycle fun times. Um, some behind the scenes on this in uh, in Fallout uh, while he was doing uh, these motorcycle stunts. This was in fact Tom Cruise on on the motorcycle for a lot of this footage without a helmet, including riding against traffic. Um, well, and- okay, so I just want to put some context for these traffic scenes. Okay. Is that n- almost none of those cars are there? Yeah, there's yeah a lot of that's CG. Um, yeah, so they're they're shooting in uh, on a location with real like real locations and stuff, but all the cars that are driving past him there are just inserted after the fact. Yeah, um, there was a there was a bit in an article about how there was a there was a particular shot, um, a challenging shot. They didn't say exactly what they were doing, but one of the motorcycle chases where he's got no gear on, no helmet or anything, they had a safety rig and it basically failed like it just it wouldn't work in the scene and um they were gonna stop and the director christopher mccrory was like well like uh, i don't know how we're gonna do this and tom cruise being tom cruise just like well we gotta roll and so he just sped off on his freaking bike and just did the scene without any stunt rigging um anyway um so all is well and fun until he oh as you were mentioning earlier byron he supermans over the handlebars he gets hit by a car (laughs) but also weirdly perfect timing for him to get hit by the car because it's almost exactly where his extraction point is that's where they're waiting for him down in the you know the underground sewers or whatever well he like stumbles along along for a minute and then he immediately takes out his knife and i was like is he like a getting prepared to like stab a bunch of cops like <laughs> just uh, that's where the movie ends that's where the whole series yeah. ends the awkward like butch and sundance last stand <laughs> uh, like well okay uh but uh, anyway so uh yeah he meets back up with the gang they speedboat away and just as they're about to um get away in their uh, getaway vehicle an innocent french police officer is standing in the wrong place at the wrong time um, just this random woman she tries to arrest them and uh, you see uh, you catch a shot of uh, Walker uh, pulling his gun behind his back like almost getting ready to just just off her um, but then uh, she actually gets gunned down by some of the widow's henchmen um, I think it was like her brother or something who's like leader of the henchmen or some shit or whatever who cares throwaway character um, and they're about to finish off the police officer and then ethan just kills them all um and they get the hell out of there um and the gang is finally almost in the clear and then ilsa comes along and takes a shot at lane 
uh, just grazes him though. And, uh, and then we get another chase scene. Uh, they come face to face and she realizes that it's, it's Ethan breaking Solomon Lane out. Um, and there's this little standoff there. Like it's you, it's you, but, uh, Ethan's got no choice and he just runs her down and gets away, <laughs> but you know, does a quick look back like, ah, she's all right, <laughs> whatever. Uh, gang gets to an underground hideout. They got to get a tracker out of Lane's neck. And meanwhile, he gives a fairly decent bad guy speech about, um, you know, the fallout of all your good intentions. Uh, again, saying the name of the movie. Um, and then uh, Ethan's, Ethan's got to go back and meet up uh, with the widow and uh, explaining that he had to change the plan because it was flawed and he didn't trust her brother, blah, 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 blah. But things get more complicated because she knows about Ilsa uh, and assumes that it was her that killed her henchmen, the men that Ethan killed. So now she wants him to deliver Ilsa or else no plutonium or else she'll sell it to someone else. Um, so then uh, Ilsa and Ethan kind of find a shady spot and they find each other and sort their stuff out. Uh, British intelligence is having her try to kill Solomon Lane because he knows too much. They don't want him talking to any other governments, et cetera, et cetera, covering them in their own asses. Uh, and this is how she proves her loyalty back to the Brits and becomes an agent again. Uh, she's got to kill him or she can never stop running even from her own government. So uh, then Ethan is going to, uh, he's off to meet the courier. He's going to give him the plutonium but then in comes Hunley, Alec Baldwin, who's wanting to know what the hell is going on out here. Uh, just as just as Ethan is cooking up a plan to fake out the courier with Benji in disguise as Lane, again, Benji with another mask, um, then another twist. Hunley says that the White Widow has actually been working with the CIA this whole time. Real quick, going back to um, the... Uh the twist with with lane as yeah. soon as uh they were alone together and they showed lane sitting in that chair i was like oh, god damn it it's him in a mask isn't it uh, <laughs> yeah and then literally like 20 seconds later he pulls off the mask and i was like god damn it <laughs> yeah 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 i kind of saw that coming anyway <clears throat> Yeah, so Hunley's like, hey, the, the White Widow, she's been working with the CIA the whole time. They, she, that's how she, you know, that's her thing. She bargains for immunity by playing nice and throwing them a bone. Uh, capturing John Lark and the Apostles and the Plutonium in order to gain favor with the Americans. So, but then they're like, hold up. If uh, Sloan, Angela Bassett's character, if she knew that it was a trap all along, why not tell us? Uh, and the answer is because as far as she's concerned, any one of them could be John Lark. She doesn't trust anybody, including any of them. So, uh, and according to the info that, uh, Walker gave his boss Sloan, although they don't know that it was Walker at this point, it all points to Ethan being John Lark. Hmm. Very convenient. Mm, indeed. Mm hmm. So, uh, I don't know when they, when they first brought that up at the beginning of the movie, uh, with, well, with Lark, well, Henry. So Henry Cavill, he gives mm -hmm. what's her name, the CIA director, Sloan. Angela Bassett, Sloan. Mm -hmm. He he's like, oh, this is the phone 
that we picked off the guy earlier and the phone that he gives her is not shattered. Right. Yeah. And I was like, well, clearly he's lying then. Yeah. So that's funny business. Yeah. So we kind of, we, we know from pretty early on that we don't know what his game is, but we know Superman ain't being Superman. <laughs> um, yeah. I yeah. mean, after a certain point though, it was like, it started to be like elimination of the, the characters in the movie. Like, I was thinking maybe for a second that it could possibly be uh, Alec Baldwin. Mm. But then I was like, no, that doesn't feel right. Yeah, they just spent the whole last movie earning his trust. And he well, yeah, like, exactly. now has faith in Ethan and the whole gang and everything. But I mean, then Walker... so Henry Henry Cavill's character, like pretty obviously early in, in, in the movie, like sabotage, does everything possible to sabotage hunts missions so like you kind of get that feeling from him right at the beginning so you get him screwing with the air tanks you get him jumping into the storm you get him smashing the laptop in the in the bathroom like he he does all kinds of stuff to fuck over the mission yeah yeah but i guess they're trying to play it off as like oh he's just like the brute force guy he's the tank and he that's all he knows how to be is the tank um anyway smash (laughs) <laughs> smash oh uh, yeah <laughs> big scary monster <laughs> uh, i love that moment anyway uh so yeah so now alec baldwin hunley is out here going like hunt like did i misplace my trust in you like what the hell is going on here like i want to believe you but there's a lot of damning shit here um he tries to talk ethan into turning himself in um oh and also by the way if you don't know walker is authorized to kill you if you don't so and they uh uh henry cavill is like it's just a job no hard feelings <laughs> um and of course that's not gonna happen he's not gonna turn himself in ethan tranks him um hunley alec baldwin and uh tells walker like hey you want to play ball you want the plutonium you, you gotta help are you in or you're out so walker is like well i'm in and they seemingly proceed with the plan uh and put benji in as a fake lane they leave Walker to watch the real lane, and now all the chips fall. Walker is, of course, John Lark, and he starts getting ready to bust Lane out, but then Lane says, no, he's actually going to stay behind because he's not quite finished with Ethan yet, and uh, Walker bitches to him about making things overly complicated because he's obsessed with revenge against Ethan, blah, 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 but then Walker realizes, like Byron, you did, and we all did, like, son of a bitch they got him that's not the real lane and he just it. yep halloween it's benji and then alec baldwin gets really fun here because he wasn't on it the whole time the whole argument the whole everything was completely fake i love this line he's like oh you were doing so well oh but this gun's loaded <laughs> care to find out <laughs> oh <it's> so, good. <laughs> so they've got walker and he still tries to talk his way out of it but Hunley actually has Sloan on the line and she's like, nah, bro, you gave me that fake shit, that fake dossier on Ethan or whatever. Um, but then another twist, she sends a whole freaking team in uh, busting in the door saying, look, I don't trust any of y'all. So let's all sort it out back in Washington, you know? So they're like, well, that's annoying, but whatever, fair enough. 
But then Walker has one more trick up his sleeve. And he's like, oh, psych. Actually, half of these people don't trust you. Turn, shoot. It's starting to feel a little Ranger Games, but uh, okay. Like Starting to get into that, no, I planned this turn. No, but I planned to counter your turn. And, you know, that shit, but okay. Uh, so, you know, shootout happens. Yeah, the, the, the plot at this point was starting to get pretty labyrinthine in its, com- in its like, complexity with, like, turns on turns on turns. And I know that, like, the spy genre is, like, full of that shit, but this was starting to be a bit much. Bit much, yeah. That's the bit much point right there. Um, so it looks like some of that team is loyal to Walker or the Apostles or both or whatever. Um Walker and the Apostles. <laughs> uh, gunfight ensues. Walker gets out of there, but he stabs Hunley on the way out the door, which totally sucks. Like, I thought that was unnecessary. Like, Alec Baldwin just joined the team. You know, they made a whole deal of him, you know, becoming the new secretary at the last film. And he just joined in on the fun. It's like, oh, I see what you guys kind of enjoy, you know, the way you do things or whatever. And then move right there. Yeah. Fucking gets knife to the sternum. He is not just down for the count. He is dead. Uh, Total bummer. Uh, But Luther manages to get a tracker um, stabs and stabs Walker on the way out the door. And he also puts one in Ethan so they can guide him as he's chasing after him. And now it's Tom Cruise running time. Um, He's running after Walker. We get rooftop running. We get office building running. That funny bit where he needs to jump out the window and the nice lady like gets out of her chair so he can smash it with her chair. <laughs> um, I like that. Yeah, that was good. Yeah. And then he pauses. Like Benji's like, what are you doing? Like, I'm jumping out a window. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, sorry. It was oh, uh, yeah, it was in 2D, 2D mode. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> oh, it was upside down. Sorry. Go left. Not right. Yeah. Um, and then also we get the infamous rooftop jump that broke Tom Cruise's ankle. So as he jumps from roof to roof and he dangles over that edge for a hot second, his ankle literally broke when he takes the hit to the building. Ooh. And that's the take that you see on camera. They use that. And they better use And he, he limped the fuck he limped, off there. Yeah, he limped away. Yeah, yeah he did. That was a noticeable limp. Yeah, they they do it all in one take. Uh, of course, the, the editing. Then they see you see different camera angles of it. But uh, initially, it was all one take, and they used all that footage. Um, his just his foot lands like unnaturally to the side against the building, and he just kind of like ah, and gets up and starts limping past the camera. And it, I think it's somewhere I saw the behind the scenes footage because I remember seeing this where like you see the the hit and he's like ah struggles to get up over the edge on top of the next building and he just kind of limps a few steps out of frame and then just stops like guys it's it's broken it's broken (laughs) but he finished the whole damn thing it's crazy god damn anyway did they have to like they had to have like shut down filming or something yeah i think probably for a few weeks yeah um but yeah, he explained later in an interview he's like i did not want to do that stunt again i knew it was broken i just kind of said ugh and ran past the camera, and we got the shot. It's in the movie. That profile shot, both those shots, they're in the movie. Um, anyway, so then he finally uh, uh, catches up and gets face-to-face with Walker, um, but Walker, he's hanging from the elevator thing, but Walker doesn't shoot him because Lane still wants Ethan to be 
turned in as the real traitor as part of his revenge plot and his whole breaking down of the old world order, blah, 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 whatever. Ethan's like, well, what if I don't? And then Walker pops out a photo of Julia and says, if I see you again, she dies. If you try to warn her, she dies. So, well, shit. <laughs> um, and Walker gets off away in a helicopter with Lane. Uh, later, uh, later on, regrouping, Luther goes over what they're up against. Walker and Lane now have the two remaining nukes, and they're both set to detonate if either one is diffused. So once they're on, they can't be stopped. Wibbly wobbly stakes. <laughs> um, then, uh, then we get a scene with Luther actually sitting Ilsa down and being like, "Hey, girl, Ethan is so into you." Um, but uh, explains the history of his wife and how it would be best if she just walks away because they've already got enough to worry about, blah, blah, blah. But of course that ain't gonna happen. She's like, I'm coming with you, let's do this shit. So they track uh, Lane out to Kashmir, uh, which, is where, which is where his people made that small out the smallpox outbreak happen. Uh, and now where Julia is now working as a humanitarian aide. Hmm. Interesting how that all lined up. So uh, Benji finds a finds a way to short out the bombs, but in order to do that, they have to let the countdown actually start. So they won't be able to disable it until like the last freaking second, of course. Um, of course, once they're there, a second later, Ethan and Julia run into each other and oh boy, the new husband. <laughs> um, and, played by. Uh, oh, who was it played by? It was a. Uh, oh, what was his Plastic name? Plastic bags in the wind. Oh, Wes Bentley. Yeah, he looked familiar, but I couldn't place him. This was American the dude. This, this was the uh, American Beauty, not American. Beauty. Yeah, the film, the creepy kid from American Beauty, filming. He's also an American horror story. In the wind. Yeah, and also uh, the Hunger Games. He was Seneca yep. Crane, the uh, designer of the games. That's where I, I recognize him from. Oh shit! I didn't even recognize him. Yeah, yeah, it took me a while. I was like, he kind of looks like Jake Gyllenhaal, but not. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so that's him. Anyway, so he's he's the new hubby. Um, we uh, we learn through the conversation. Uh, we learn what we already suspect that uh, Lane orchestrated them being there as a part of his revenge. He did plan the, the the outbreak, calling Julia out there and other doctors as and specifically detonating the nukes there in this valley nearby a glacier that will irradiate like a third of the world's water supply um and uh anyway ethan only has a second to chat and he has to go literally running away uh, from julia to go find these bombs um instead he ends up finding walker getting onto a helicopter with the remote detonator and uh bloop 15 minute countdown starts so Ethan jumps on to a second helicopter or actually on a rope of supplies that it is hauling away. <laughs> so he's dangling in air off of this like supply thing on the second chopper. And this is another 100% Tom Cruise stunt. That is him hanging from that rope. At one point he actually has this stunt where he falls all the way down to the bundle of the supplies. And, um, Apparently, according to the articles I was reading, Tom Cruise was so convincing here that the crew, some of the crew actually thought something went wrong and holy shit, we just watched him die. <laughs> um, 
Yeah. Um, Rebecca Ferguson, who plays Ilsa, she actually saw the drop and screamed thinking that that was real. And that was like the end of Tom Cruise. And uh, even one of, the, <laughs> one of the, one of the crew members said in that take is like over the radio, like, I think we just lost Tom. <laughs> but then of course he was fine. Yeah. So we've got now two. So the action split up in two from here on out. This is the finale of the film. We've got Julia finding Luther and asking how she can help out. So she helps defusing bomb number one. Um, Ethan over in the chopper, he climbs back up to the chopper, takes control. Uh, oh, yeah. And again, by the way, Tom Cruise learned how to fly a helicopter. <laughs> of course he did. So sure. he demanded to do the flying himself, even during the dangerous piloting stunts, like the freaking 360 barrel roll, like where it looks like he's going to crash. Um yeah, he, he decided to take on all the, the stunt piloting himself. He learned how to fly a helicopter and put in 2,000 hours. ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, the crew had to design special cameras inside the helicopter so it actually shows him piloting. Um, and um, No yeah. wonder why that scene went on for 15 fucking minutes. Oh, if yeah, he so learned to pilot... Yeah. If he, he learned to pilot, damn well he's going to be in that movie piloting that helicopter. So when you yeah. guys watched the movie, did it did it uh, change to the IMAX presentation when you during the helicopter scenes? I didn't know. What do you mean, it. like the aspect ratio? Yeah. So I watched the four. I watched the four K version on Amazon Prime, and anytime it cut to the scene that was shot of the helicopter, it switched to. Uh, full 16.9 rather than I think 2.31 I don't recall that but I don't know because the rest of the movie was in 2.31 and then uh, yeah it took up the literally all of my TV wow huh. uh, I was and it, was, it was very clearly IMAX because the, the footage was like crystal clear okay all right. So, um, so anyway, Ethan uh, tries to uh, maneuver. He's trying to figure out how to stop Walker's helicopter. Um, he actually tries to drop the payload on him, but he misses. And then Walker pulls out a big ass gun, like a freaking BFG 9000 and starts shooting. <laughs> um, and uh, meanwhile, Ilsa and Benji are looking for the other bomb. Luther, Luther and Julia are defusing theirs. Uh, Ilsa finds the bomb, but then Lane, Solomon Lane is there. He gets the drop on her, ties her up. Benji comes running in. Lane gets the drop on him, gets a noose around his neck, strings him up. That's messed up. You don't do that to Simon Pegg. Um, but uh, Ilsa gets free, has a, a super rad fight with Lane, and cuts Benji down at the last second. Um, meanwhile, Ethan straight up rams Walker's helicopter, which was kind of rad. And uh, they both go down through an insane crash on the cliffs um, to which they lead to, they end up on the edge of the cliff and then they're down the side of the cliff. Um, it's right around this moment where Walker gets, everything's falling apart. So Walker gets burned from some sort of like hot engine fluid or something. Um, <clears throat> you don't mess with the Cavill face. Come on. <laughs> Now, okay, I wrote some notes here for myself because I wanted to remember this. Here's where I wonder if someone on the writing team is as super dorky and movie nerdy as I am, because check it out. 
Walker gets half of his face burned and I'm sitting at home watching this kind of chuckling like, ha ha, he's like two faced now. Um, but then to my delight, he then immediately yells a line at Ethan. Why can't you just die? Which is exactly what two face says to Batman in Batman forever. Really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Huh. And it's like right after his face gets burned too. So I was like, oh my God, I called it. So the countdown is now down to five minutes. Um, and both teams are trying to defuse their bombs. Ethan and Two-Face have a, a final knockdown fight as Ethan tries to reach for the remote detonator, which of course ends with both of them on the cliffside. Um, and Ethan comes Gotta up, love a good cliffside fight. Good cliffside fight, yeah. <laughs> Ever since Cliffhanger did <laughs> I thought I heard in, in recent memory that they're trying to reboot that for a while now. Yeah, I, th- I think so. Yeah. We're Under going deep head. into the Paramount archives. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah. So uh, Ethan tugs on the rope, holding the, the remnants of the chopper, and our beloved mustache Superman takes a hook to the forehead. <laughs> um, and uh and right off. Yep. It was a pretty cool, it was a pretty cool. uh, So I have to say that like, um, Henry Cavill is like the only convincing villain that could go up against Tom Cruise's Ethan Hunt. Yeah. He makes a a good villain because he's like physically imposing. Yeah. But he's also like, at least in the story, he's supposed to be like really smart and you know effective yeah Yeah, i mean he's a top ca agent to begin with yeah and like he's physically imposing even to somebody like that's tall like you or i but you put uh, you pit him up against five foot nothing tom cruise yeah and it's insane it looks like the the moment where he's he's got like the the fucking m60 with the tracer rounds like (laughs) yeah like that was just it was pretty rad that was great <laughs> yeah um so um yeah so he's he's done for and then everyone does their parts at the last moment ethan gets the detonator in time both teams clip the wires oh, and- so the other thing is that like leading into the 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 this last sequence is mm-hmm. a reference to mission impossible a huge reference to mission impossible 2 which one's that the rock climbing Oh, yeah. yeah. Tom Cruise gets to do more of his rock climbing that he loves. Well, it's also, there's almost an in, a, 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 a shot that is almost, that mirrors almost the exact same shot from Mission Impossible 2, where it like pulls out and he's climbing the rock face. Oh, yeah. And after um, uh, he, he gets the detonator in time, does his thing, the team clips the wires and stuff. And so that he, uh, it kind of, uh, camera backs up and so tom cruise watches a beautiful sunset from the cliffs i think that's kind of a reminiscent of it. him just like hanging there by the cliff as we're watching like the horizon or whatever anyway um so we uh, cut forward to ethan getting a a, a medivac and uh, wakes up to julia watching over him and uh, also new husband bootleg jake gyllenhaal um 
And uh, let's see. Oh, yeah. He says uh, Ethan is lucky that his friends came and found him in the crash and his friends actually being Sloan and the CIA. Um, Ethan and Julia get a nice minute together where they get to kind of uh, wrap things up for themselves. She tells him like not to carry all that guilt that he's carrying because she's happy where she is. Like everything kind of led to this life that she has now. And so she's grateful for it, which cool. Um, there's a, there's a follow-up scene narrated by Sloan where she and Ethan send Solomon Lane back to uh, British intelligence. Um, but via the white widow, their ongoing relationship with their courier Um and uh, and then once again, the obligatory kind of uh, you're all right, my book hunt sort of moment uh, we get from her. And then um, and then new girlfriend Ilsa and the gang have a, a quick little jokey moment where they're like, oh, how close were we? Uh, oh, the usual. <laughs> oh, ouch. Don't make me laugh. Blah, blah, blah. And uh, the end again, pretty these movies and they're pretty abrupt endings, just kind of like last one liner credits <laughs> um but yeah oh, the hospital scene was kind of a bit long i think it needed a, a cut off at the end you think so yeah, yeah. well they really they well, had to... you got you got the like final goodbye from his you know ex-wife yeah which is what they're tying the whole thing together at the very beginning uh you know his like dream apocalyptic vision thing so that that was something that i was noticing is that there's there's like a a major reference to every almost every single mission impossible movie in this in this one yeah this the first sequence is uh you know a direct nod to or at least the um the hospital opening sequence is a direct nod to the first mission Impossible. right cliff face is a uh, is a nod to mission impossible 2 um the scenes as well with his, as the bike chases yeah bike as well chases. as well as the bike yeah. chases that's true yeah. and then the scenes with his his wife are nods to the third movie mm-hmm. um and then you know he literally brings back characters from mission impossible well, i guess hmm. well in that sense we need more carrie russell <laughs> yeah well i was thinking about the fourth one is we the need one maggie q seen. and uh reese darby or not reese darby uh john reese myers <laughs> reese darby please <laughs> <laughs> i'll take it yes um yeah i guess the fourth one is the one that is the only one that i didn't see any like specific like nod to um there we well they you know yeah they oh no wait a minute I was thinking about the last movie. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. Anyway, because there's no like um, scaling the tallest building in the world or anything like that. Yeah. Um, again, I uh, I enjoyed the hell out of this one. Um, yeah, I liked this one a lot. Yeah. I I I watched it on my 4K TV with the lights off. I even plugged in my like audiophile headphones directly into my television so i i had the like really good aural experience um yeah i I feel like uh this one was was really good there were a lot of like interesting musical like wordless interludes 
There were like I also five like or... how the, I like how they weaved the theme into a lot of the different uh, the song the the different moods that they were doing. Mm-hmm. They managed yeah. to weave the theme in. Mm. Yeah, and there um there were there were a lot of wordless interludes in the film. There were there were like five or six sequences that were more than thirty seconds long with mm. no dialogue whatsoever. Uh, when uh, when Ethan and Ilsa kind of meet up, when they meet, um, it happens. It also happens. Yeah. Uh, during the fake shootout scene or the fake um, uh, when he has to shoot the cop you know there's no dialogue in that scene whatsoever right and it happens three or I, may, I think two or three other times throughout the film hmm it's kind of a nice classy choice breaks things up a bit um, just, but again I guess kind of unnecessary in a two hour and 27 minute film <laughs> yeah definitely could have been definitely could have been shorter um but yeah, yeah. I, again my favorite sequence in the movie was the the 80s bmw scene because it's such an the antithesis to like all the supercars that you see in movies you know and mm-hmm. he's he's you're you're looking at the headrest and it's this like plastic molding you know yeah. <laughs> And he's pulling this like emergency brake that lo- looked like it was going to snap off. Yeah, that would that could have been a good choice there. <laughs> it's just yeah, snap. right. Uh, what do we do now? <laughs> yeah, yeah, good stuff. Um, again, I'm really excited about the news that the the widow will be back for more adventures. Um, well, we've already covered in previous episodes. Um, Kittredge is back in uh, in That's the seven cool. at least. Yeah. They're really tired. I wonder if he's going to be involved with the syndicate because I'm pretty sure that the syndicate is coming back because they didn't get rid of the syndicate. I don't know. He seemed like too much of a like a a real yeah tried and true G man. Maybe he's going to be come back as the IMF director or something. Maybe yeah yeah maybe. Also, we have uh, two new castings uh, that. Uh, for seven and eight, uh, Haley Atwell and Palm Clementoff. Haley Atwell's gonna be in it. Oh, yes. Wow, that's pretty cool. And Palm Mantis. <laughs> yes. Who's that? Mantis uh, from Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> I, yeah, I haven't seen Haley Atwell in a lot of stuff. So Carrie Hughes is in uh, seven or eight, seven, I think. Really nice. That's yeah. pretty cool. That's cool. Wait, all right, guys. Well, uh, this podcast is just about as long as Mission Impossible Fallout. So <laughs> <laughs> this podcast will self destruct in five. <laughs> yeah, probably should. Um, yeah, thank you for joining, guys, for our entire uh, Mission Impossible watch. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed it. Um, kind of trying something new from our. So, so what do you guys? What now that we've seen them all, and mm-hmm. we've reviewed, we've like gone over them all. Mm-hmm. Which do you think is? What do you think is your favorite? I'm still going with number one. The uh, the last one was okay. It was probably the best of all the sequels, but number one's still the best. I think I might have to agree there. I, I really, I mean, number one is pretty timeless. Um, Fallout is great, but it's kind of hindered by you have to watch five and six to get it, you know? I mean, I guess yeah. I guess you could get away with 
not, but it, yeah, you it you really only need to see Rogue Nation to get this one, right? Yeah, but also I think Rogue Nation is probably the weakest of the newer ones. So <laughs> again, I I know for a reason why I fell asleep during that movie in the theater. Um. So yeah, I really like the first one. But actually, I think that Ghost Protocol is probably my favorite of the entire franchise with with was, number one being a close yeah. second and Fallout being a close third. Yeah, yeah, Ghost Protocol is up there. I, I might Ghost put that Protocol up. is really good. There's just yeah. an energy to it and a kinetic, a kinetic energy and the... the it's the first time you see cracks in Tom Cruise's like super armor, you know, mm-hmm. and it, it's it, and it's unlike you know his lizard people wearing like face, like <laughs> element of of the third one where he's like like hello fellow humans. Is um, there no love in here for hey 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 I disappear? <laughs> no, not at all. No, no, there isn't. For <laughs> any love for the two uh, was bad when it came out, and it's even worse now. <laughs> I was bad, and you should feel bad. <laughs> yeah, honestly, oh boy. All right. Well, what I will promise to the podcast listeners out there is that um, our next, our next uh, movie movie review will be done one at a time. Uh, two per episode <laughs> is a bit much. I think but, so. You know, yeah. We had yeah. to squeeze this into you know a few episodes. So, but yeah, uh, probably I'm, I'm guessing probably Twister is going to be hit <laughs> if you guys are down. That works for I'm me down for Twister. I yeah, and we'll have uh, Loki to discuss when we come back as well. So, uh, and I think things. the finale of the Bad Batch is coming up. Uh, uh, I, I oh man, to I'm going to have to cram on Bas- Bad Batch. Yeah, I'll have to catch up with those. All right, guys. Thank you for joining. This is Tony. This is Todd. This is Byron. Mission accomplished. <laughs> Shut up, Bush. Okay, bye.